This is the Danger Close Podcast. Beyond the Books with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. My guest today is Australian Army veteran Matt Willie Williams. Following a deployment to Afghanistan, he was diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor. After chemo treatments, he embraced a passion for journalism and traveled to Ukraine, where he reported extensively from the front lines. You can follow his journey on Instagram at willie.beating.cancer and watch his extremely informative YouTube videos on Ukraine at willieoam. And now, without further ado, Matt Willie Williams. You might see that I collaborate with Ironclad on a lot of different projects. In fact, I have worked with them on my book trailers, this podcast, as well as a few other exciting endeavors that are currently in development. Ironclad teams up with some of the biggest brands in the world to create dynamic films, series, podcasts, and ad campaigns. If you are a brand or individual looking to elevate your content or start a podcast, don't hesitate to reach out through their website. This is Ironclad. Com, and make sure you follow them on all major platforms at This Is Ironclad. Oh man, dude, I'm so glad we're getting to to do this. It's uh, you know, we've kind of, we kind of connected, gosh, a while ago, bro. And, yeah. I'm fucking stoked on this. Yeah, um, and I was thinking, I've, I've I need to like right in the beginning, be like, because like uh, your listeners like. They know you're a really nice guy, would have, but I'm like, no, I've got a story mm. about you. It's like, we'll prove this to them. Like, I know you're a big shot, but you're a hell of a fucking nice guy. When I was first diagnosed, I get in the mail this book, your terminal oh. list book, and you've written in it, Willie, you're an inspiration to us all. Stay strong, brother. Um, strength and honor. And man, that meant so fucking much to me. And I still like keep this as like a memento man. Oh. Um it really fucking meant a lot because it was like, you know, someone succeeding at such a high level is still like willing to be like, hey, these private like diggers at the bottom of the chain. And, you know, private soldiers, you can feel like just like a shit kicker. And it's like, fuck these, like, it, that's like the brotherhood at work across oceans, across whatever. So I just wanted to thank you for that, man. And like, uh, like let your audience know you're a, you're a, for want of a better term, a top G. <laughs> oh man. Well, Hey, I appreciate that. And I've been, you know, sending prayers and thoughts your way since the, since the beginning, since we got linked up all those, those years ago. And I mean, what an amazing journey you've had. And it's true. It's such an inspiration to anyone who knows you, who follows you. And you'll never know how, uh, you know, how wide that circle is, uh, just because obviously in social media, you don't know exactly how many people you're, it's, it's incredible what you've, what you've done and what you've, what, how, how many people you've inspired through just being tough and sharing this journey. But speaking of this journey, I mean, let's, let's start there. And because it's been crazy, I want to talk all about Ukraine and the the news today that, uh, that we just heard Wagner group, uh, lead went, uh, apparently, you know, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll see, uh, cause yeah. I guess you never know, but, um, uh, shot, shot down. Is that your, your, uh, what you think and that's, what we're man, seeing? I've only been up for like 25 minutes. So that's, <laughs> that's what I've seen, man. Like yeah. it's 5am in Australia. Yeah. Um, basically, yeah, that's what I saw was a plane with the bloody wing falling off. It was falling out of the air. Crazy. And there's also there's so much footage of it too, which is pretty uh, interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll get to that. But your story, I mean, into the Australian army, 
and Afghanistan, coming home, uh, a brain cancer diagnosis, going through all that, then going to Ukraine, uh, doing some amazing reporting on the ground and continuing to do incredible reporting back here for people who aren't following your your um, either Instagram or the, or your YouTube where you have where you're interviewing people and I mean you're doing such an an in-depth analysis of what's going on in the ground there. Um, let, let's kick it off at the beginning, like into the Australian army. Like where did that, how did you uh, grow up and, and did you always want to be a soldier? Yeah, man, I, I always just wanted to be a soldier. Like there was going to be nothing else. It was like nothing else was going to like each that scratch. Like from the day I was, from the day mom and dad could even remember, they're like, he was, that was just what Matt was doing. Yeah. Um, and it became like a real reality for me. Um, a little bit later in life when I actually like joined up at, uh, during high school. Uh, so year 12, uh, which I know our schooling system works a bit differently, but I'm 18, um, at that age and yeah, joined up, got everything ready. And two days after school ended after graduation, um, and anyone who's thinking about joining the fucking, uh, any level of the army, whether it's the infantry, whether you're doing, you're cleaning floors or you're shooting out of helicopters, I don't care what you're doing, finish bloody high school because one <laughs> high school is fun as fuck. Like when you're like that age um, and the, the, just the bonds you get with people and you actually learn how to network with other people, with teachers, whatever. Like if I joined the army at 16, I reckon I would have been fucked. Like I might've made it like once I'd be gone, like beyond like Lance corporal level, it would have been like, well, I'm an idiot. Um, So it, you actually advance quicker by just staying in school a bit longer. Oh, at, yeah. at least I found, but you can join yeah, at age 16. Yeah, you can join just, you can at least start the process on day of 16 in oh. Australia. Um, and it might take you till 16, six months or nine months until you're actually in. But yeah, yeah, you can join at that age. We had, um, while I was in Afghan, we had two guys' 18th birthdays wow. there. What was like, and I remember telling them, like, this is a lot different to my 18th. <laughs> like, like wow. shit, I was out drinking beers at the pub because, you know, we actually have real drinking age laws here. Well, when, um, when can you uh, when can you drink in Australia? 18, Eighteen, but it's like you know it's pretty fucking loose before that. Okay, um, for Australians, mate, like hey, you put an island full of convicts. Exactly, an island of convicts. Love it. Yeah, man. Everyone has this view of Australia is just like this, like California of the world, and it's like no, that's Melbourne. The rest ah. of it's fucking loose. Um, but yeah, man, I, I joined up, um, infantry soldier. I originally wanted to go commandos, which is like your um. Uh, direct entry special forces. And then you've got the SAS who's not direct entry. Like you then have to do everything else. Mm. Um, but at that age, they're like, look, man, like if you've never served and you don't have this, go in infantry. And then like the direct entry is more for guys who are getting back in from things. And I'm like, yeah, sweet. And when I got in, I'm like, thank fuck. I didn't do that. Cause I would have got <laughs> smoked. <laughs> like I'm an Aussie man. I've never picked up a gun in my life. You know, uh. it's like, holy shit. Um, it's a big sort of swing change. Um, but yeah, man, I joined up and I really never looked back. I didn't want to ever leave. Oh, really? Um, but a tumor in my brain, like I wanted to be, um, like a sergeant major of, of yeah. a unit, you know, a 30 year guy, like top, top digger, um, top soldier there. Um, Australians use the term digger and soldier, like interchangeably, mm. um, for like non-officers. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's just how it went for me, man. Um, did Afghan, you know, pretty slow um, period in Afghan. Like, you know, not super slow, but not, um, you know, not the early or late trips. You know, it was yeah. 2017, 
Um, so it's a lot of been dying down to Kabul sort of work, but man, I found that like very, it was very fulfilling for me. Like those trips, like it actually taught me a shitload, you know, that more, um, close personal protection, move around the city, things like that. Um, and it's actually been a very handy to guys now in my trip to get out and get jobs because all the contracting jobs are in that sort of world. Yeah. Uh, armored movements, things like that. What was the, uh, the train up? Like you, you go, you sign up, put your name on the page. Uh, and, uh, how long does it take between like starting that process to join the military in Australia, uh, to showing up at boot camp, And then what's that like boot, your version of boot camp, And then is there some advanced yeah. training? And then how long are you with your unit before you go overseas? What was that process like? Yeah. So I'm going to pull some numbers out my ass because I'm like, <laughs> you can I'll get close. Get you can get close. Yeah. Um, give or take. So they actually wanted me a lot earlier because I got into the army in like, say, March of 2014 was when they accepted me. Like, yep, you are going to be a candidate who gets into the military. Mm. And then I was still in high school and they were like, oh, we want you like next month. And I was like, can I push that to actually finish school? And they were fine with that. Um, so they pushed until November. So I finished school on the 23rd of November and I was at boot camp, like at what we call Kapuka. At, on the 25th and I was still say I was hung over from graduation. Like I rock up like what the fuck long hair hung over, uh, fat. And then you're like, you know, like every recruit rocks up and then just getting fucking thrashed day one, man, head shaved, running around, fucking around, doing whatever people yelling at you, <laughs> people that now you look back and you're like, you're just some fucking right. like truck driver with a hook on their chest. Like uh, now you'd be like, fucking don't talk to me like that. <laughs> but, um, that was the hardest three months of my life, man, mm. because the adaption from civilian to like the, like uh, what they want to create as a soldier, mm -hmm. that's very difficult because, and you and I'd be the same and most infantrymen, you know, frontline soldiers aren't like this. We're not that star soldier in the uniform with the medals and the clean everything. We are field soldiers. You know, we want to be out in the field with the boys rucking packs and shooting shit. That's what we want to be. That's what we want to do. But those initial three months of boot camp is to just make everyone, whether you're a cook, a driver, um, are going to be in the SAS, you, you all have to baseline as a soldier. Yeah. And that's hard. You're making beds, shitty, just, you know, rifle shoots that are like fucking piss easy, random up the guts, fucking attacks. You know, you're not doing anything that you're not doing like urban yeah. warfare you don't know what you're really doing like it might be like oh yeah yeah do walk around this door um so that kapuka that three-month basic that was fucked for me i hated every minute of it every second of it i just hated it i've blocked mine out like i i can't like i have to really dig to think up either boot camp or then later ocs because they're pretty much the same thing um just getting yelled at by a marine in one and navy person in the other but it's uh i, I blocked those out because it was for the exact same reason uh that but you then just the described. next step oh sorry the yeah. next step was then fucking awesome, man. Okay, advanced. Uh, we get some more advanced training. Well, what did you? What, yeah. what rifle did you shoot in boot camp that you have to qualify on or whatever? Yeah, so it's we were on the Steyr Org. Um, so it's an Org, but the um, the Steyr is like the Australian Army variant of it. Um, that's an SA two, I believe, at that time because we've we've gone through so many fucking iterations of that mm. piece of shit, <laughs> like that plastic bull pop, like. And I see these Yanks, like I see like Grand Thumb and them like, oh, the org's really good. And I'm like, shut up. Like, I love <laughs> Grand Thumb. I'm like, man, your videos are awesome. The org is a fucking piece of shit. Like, I, I can't fuck that. Um, yeah. Oh, man. What, what pistol? Uh, Browning 9mm. Oh, wow. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. We're we're back in the fucking trenches, baby. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> hey, that's awesome. <laughs> um, and then you know that we basically the same weapon suite as uh, the states. Um, five five six. We call it a mini my, but you guys, um, I think that's is your saw five five six or seven six two. Well, we can't. You know, sometimes I just say like the terminology that I think I know without having looked yeah. in an actual book. So when someone says saw to me, squad automatic weapon, that that would yeah. say five five six. To me now, if you look yeah. in a book, there might be different variants and all sorts of things. So I yeah, double, if I was yeah. putting it in a novel, I would double check and triple check and quadruple check. But it, that I was yeah. using the exact right terminology. But when someone says "saw," then that would be it. Uh, for me. That means five five six. Yeah. So we have like the same one as you guys on that. We have then the seven six two variant two, which we call them the Maximi, and then we have the FN, um, the Mag, like the Mag fifty eight. We call it. Um, you, you guys called something else the the seven six two wooden stock bloody big heavy fucking thing, oh, damn. um, we carry that as well, um, which is just an animal, um, yeah. which which is the best weapon in the fucking world. Like you know, I've seen those put like nine thousand rounds through them just on a fucking tripod, just changing barrels every few hundred. Yeah, um, yeah, it's an unbelievable weapon system, but. You know, Kapuki, you start learning some of those, okay. and then School of Infantry, which you know you swing over. And at that time, man, in early 2015, the army was going through a big change because the combat trips ended for Australia really in 2014. It was mm. Afghan started sort of cooling off for us. Yeah. Um, anyway, they had like a mass exodus out of the army, out of infantry at least, because people are like, well, I don't want to be like, you know, the infantry, I'm here to shoot dudes. Um, so the infantry went through a massive exodus of guys. So they were trying to like spool up the army machine to get more troops in. Mm. Uh, so the problem they did was they actually overloaded the um, School of Infantry. So the School of Infantry can start a course of, I want to say, say 50 men every yeah. two weeks, where Kapuka can do that every week. Mm. So I had to go into like waiting list. Like we oh, got yeah. into the School of Infantry and they're like, yep, um, you know, you're in this holding battalion until we can find your platoon to start. Okay. What was fucked because you're at like a school and everyone knows like military schools are hard. You treat it like shit, whatever. But I was there for like another like bonus fucking seven weeks, like me and oh. these dudes and they were going fucking alphabetical. So I'm Williams oh. and I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. Uh. Um, so we just did like PT for like seven weeks, just getting thrashed because yeah. they couldn't actually do any training with us. Like we could do like basic stuff, but nothing you know, we couldn't go down to the urban warfare center or whatever. Mm. Um, but at least we got like super fit because all we could do is PT twice a day um, and ran PT, like, you know, some, some PTI just smashing us. And then we got picked up into a platoon eventually um, run by uh, Royal Marine Commandos. So we've had Australian Army, um, all Commonwealth armies can like laterally transfer in between. Okay. So you can go Brits, Aussies, Canadians, whatever. Huh. Um, it's a little bit more difficult than that, but it, it still can work. So the Brits, they have to retire after like 18 or 20 years or something like that. So the British, the Royal Marine Commandos, for some reason, they when they retire, and if it's 20 years, you're only mid-30s, late 30s yeah. for a lot of dudes. So we just get all their sergeants coming over to ours. Um Next thing you're having some British bloke fucking yelling at you, and you're yeah. like, you know, you're an 18-year-old digger. Some forty-year-old Royal Marine Commando who's just done Iraq and Afghan screaming at you in British, mm -hmm. which is the official language of the military. Like every officer or every sergeant should have to be British, and you're just like, "Holy fuck!" Like climbing yeah. up a mound. Um, 
but I've had heaps, man, heaps of Royal Marines and they're fucking G's. Um, so yeah, we had, um, this guy who was like an ex sergeant, uh, sorry, an ex, um, sniper. He was fucking legit and ran us through the, um, I think it's 15 weeks training, okay. I think for infantry basic. Um, I know it's changed now because the urban has got so much more. Mm. Um, like we might've done two weeks of urban also or even 10 days a week of urban where now it's like a fucking month because they've realized how much more important that is yeah. um the army every military man's a slow moving beast like to actually update something we're found on the ground to through high command through training command is there's probably shit from vietnam still going through the fucking yeah. system to then be like oh yeah this is what we do in the jungle like yeah. you know all militaries are like that it's you know if luckily they're not private companies, I'd be go fucking bust. But yeah, um, yeah, man. I and I really hold that dearly, though. I remember a guy said to me, like, the like Singleton, which is School of Infantry, is like the greatest time that you'll never want to live again. Mm. Um, like it was that. fucking great, but it's like I'm not doing that shit again. Yeah, but you know, a, a lot of my still my best mates was from there. And then you guys all go to your different different units after that, mm. and then do some sort of a, a workup before going to overseas. Yeah, so um, we had, uh, there's multiple units you can go. You can't, not every one of them is open to you just because of manning. Um, so we could either go to Townsville, Darwin, or Adelaide. Yeah. Um, and I went down Adelaide because I was like, fuck the heat. Like the last thing you want to do as a soldier is work in huge humidity and 110 degrees. Um, like Adelaide where I'm from is hot as fucking balls, but it's really dry because yeah. it's just desert. Um, I've been to Adelaide. Luckily, I've been to Adelaide. Like, and uh, I love Australia. I've, uh, yeah, absolutely love it. I, we actually went to, I want to say we were based out of Townsville. I might be wrong because it was two, you know, tw in 2000, no, 99, 99. Yeah, mm -hmm. my first deployment. And uh, that's where we go to work with the clearance dive team. And it was for oh, yeah. some exercise. And I forget the name of it. I think it was probably like uh, exercise, you know, something crocodile probably because that's, you <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, that's yeah. probably what it was. Um, and uh, so we went over there and I, I remember it the day either like right when we got there the day before or anyway, something like that, uh, they pick up and uh, off they go to East Timor. So yep. we land and we're there for this exercise. They leave and, you know, we're, everything's been paid for already. Our deployment is like we're, we're scheduled to be there for a month. And so they're like, well, we don't know if they're coming back. I mean, looking back, obviously they're not going to come just go for a day and come back well, on East Timor. But that's what we were like, well, maybe they're coming back. We'll just wait for them. So we had a month in Australia to, uh, with our rental cars and hotel rooms and went down to the Gold Coast and did all that whole, that whole thing and yeah. uh, Surfer's Paradise and, and all that. So we had a, a pretty good time out there. It was amazing. I love Australia. Beautiful. Oh, it's good. It's fucking good fun, man. I, I, I still like, I'm a very passionate Aussie. Nice. Um, like it, it's fucking good to go. Uh, but when, yeah, went down Adelaide, man. That was the 7th Battalion. Um which has actually just been announced that it's actually collapsing uh, back into another like restructure. But mm. yeah. Um, and then basically, you know, did some uh, courses from there because it's like you're qualified as like the lowest of the low. Okay. Uh, Cause we still have, I'm not sure if the Yanks have this, but you are um, still not a proficient private until a full year of serving in a battalion. Okay. So we're considered like a non-proficient private. Non-proficient. That That's what they actually call it. Uh, they wouldn't call it that, but you're not, okay. you don't become proficient until a year. Ah, um, I see. Okay. So they wouldn't say you're non-proficient, but then right. you have, then you become proficient. So you are. Right. Yeah, um, so then a year That's in. Um, so within that year, you basically just, 
oh, man, you're basically just standing there on a gun. Like you're basically like, yep, okay, new bloke, you're carrying this gun mm. and 800 rounds that Watch way. That. Like, yeah. Um, but then you have to do like qualifying shit. To, you know, you have to show that you're actually proficient at navigation and mm-hmm. all these other minor, like infantry minor tactics. Yeah. Um, and then I managed doing that year. Um, like then an advanced combat, uh, advanced um, trauma course. Um, and then uh, I'm not sure if it was in that year or just after I did um, heavy weapons specialist, like anti-armor. Mm. Uh, so then went away for, oh, I want to say eight or nine weeks and then did things like that. And there's all these other little bits and pieces that sort of, you know, pull together that soldier structure from there. So yeah, yeah the six, the training is six, seven, eight months officially, but you're not a good soldier until, I'd say like a good 18 months in. And I've been saying this to people about like, say Ukraine. I'm like, it's great. We're taking these guys out and we're giving them a few months of training, but don't expect the fucking SAS. Don't expect Delta Force out of this. Like in two months, how much can you actually give someone? Like even just physically, not that much. Um, You know, it's the basic of it. Um, And yeah, I was 18 months, two years in the battalion and then um, tours came back around um, and 7th battalion, which is my um, unit, was um, it was the most deployed battalion in the regular uh, regular mm. army okay. um, outside of the SF units. Yeah. Um, and we were lucky. We picked up just by luck four tours in a year. Um, we picked up a Malaysia trip, which wasn't really a tour, and then an Iraq and two Afghans. Oh, wow. Um, Mainly because our sister battalion had all these like DUIs, like uh, driving over influence <laughs> and shit. And someone, some big head honcho in the army somewhere went, fuck them, give them all to seven. Oh my gosh. Um, so we went like online, um, had to go through months of like Middle Eastern rehearsals. I think we called it something like that. Um, and we, yeah, had to like spool up into um, specific training for that mission because we always say we're training for, um, uh, the war, not a war. The war, the army and the Americans, the Aussies, the Brits, we're training for the war, the war with China, the war with Russia. That's the war. A war is Afghans going on. That's a, a because it's like, well, there's a war going on, but it's dudes in sandals and we've got choppers and F-18s. Like, you know, fuck yeah. Um, but we train as if we're, as if we're going to fight a near peer partner where once we, you know, we pick up the trips and we start, you know, actually doing those rehearsals, it's right. We need to like change the training away from fighting a near peer to then we're fighting what we're actually going to be up against. So a whole different slew, even different tactics, um, things like this. So yeah, then we went on to, went on to that heap of courses, heap of rehearsals as if we're living out of a fob, um, little bits and pieces, man. So yeah, it was, it was a pretty wild, like uptick <laughs> pretty yeah. quick. What's your, what's your MOS or what we call an MOS, your specialty? Uh, what do you, uh, do you, do you have that? Yeah. Um, heavy weapons, anti-armor. Nice. Um, was my, was my specialty and it was going through a little bit of a change at the time. Like we were going away from more the direct fire support, um, you know, 50 cal, um, Mark 19 AGL, although we're now across the new one, but I'm not uh, current on that. Um, 84 mil javel and things like that. But now we've shifted sort of after I've left more to um, the anti-armor role, um, like the stalking role of tanks. So mm-hmm. the guys now, like the boys over there, they're in like um, full ghillie suits, man, with an 84 mil Carl Gustav 
stalking tanks. Like it's like snipers with with jav or with javelins or Kugelstoff. Yeah, um, that'll work. And uh, and that has been conf- like that's actually like we've saw that tick up in I want to say twenty twenty maybe twenty nineteen, and then that's just been confirmed of how deadly something like that is yeah. in Ukraine because you get two dudes out there, man, with four eighty four mil Carl Gustavs and a tube two of them in ghillie suits and you're up against a bloody, you know, um, some four tanks, you're deadly as fuck to those tanks. Um, so it's more that role now. It's like less of the fire support. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still, yeah, it's still interesting, man. I think for qualifications, like on just getting hands on weapon systems, you know, <laughs> heavy weapons, that's where you want to be. <laughs> you know, yeah. Firing 50 cals, firing um, automatic grenade launchers, just random, random piss like that. Yeah. Fucking sick. Oh man, you know, I was on an Australian ship in, uh, gosh, I forget what year, probably 99, 2000, somewhere in there before September 11th, I think. Um, and, uh, no, no, after, regardless, anyway, sometime 20 plus years ago, and there was such a stark difference between the Australian ship and the U S ship. And it was an amphib. So it was an old United States amphib that I guess we had sold and then maybe refurbished or something. Um, yeah. and I'll tell you what, it was awesome to be on that Australian ship. And we were there. Yeah, it was after September 11th because we were in ship boardings in the Northern Arabian Gulf um, and like wine in the in the galley. That was one thing. And then helicopters coming on board or ships coming alongside to bring on food and supplies. And they'd announce like, hey, we need, uh, we need help up in the, you know, on whatever that deck is called. And everybody would go. And everybody was helping and everybody was like having a good time. And then cricket in that high Bay area, whatever it's called. And it was yeah. such a stark difference from the limited amount of time. Now these are both very limited experiences, obviously oh, yeah, just yeah. touch points. Um, but it stood out in my mind, very different than a U.S. ship where it seemed like everybody was just like bummed, super bummed to be there. And if you were going to go and if you had to do a duty like that, you'd be assigned to it. You'd be told that you have to go do this. It wasn't like, Hey, we need some help. And everybody runs up having a great time unloading food and doing all this. And then, Hey, let's play some cricket afterward in this. I mean, it was really, it was noticeable. It stands out all these years later. I haven't thought of it in years, but just hearing you, uh, you know, talk about your, your experience, um, that really did stick out in my mind, the morale of the sailors on that Australian amphib ship compared to my limited experience on us ship, stark difference. Maybe it was the wine, but I don't think so. I think it was more just, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe that Australian spirit or something. I don't know what it was, but it's, uh, you could, you could, you could feel it. No doubt about but it. But that, that's been famous, man, since like World War One. You know, many yeah. like American generals are right about like the like the spirit of the Aussies. We call it the spirit of the Anzac, like mm-hmm. the um, Australian New Zealand Army Corps. And it's just and people people will imagine Aussies like that too. That you know, if you meet an Australian like in the states or somewhere, it's like, oh, that guy's you know drinking beer, he's happy, he's carrying on, like you know, and it's the same here. It's like a country full of it. That is like the Australian spirit. Is yeah. you know. Um, that like friendly, go out of your way for someone else, you know, that, that sort of is it. Um, and I think, I think Australia, a, a lot of it has lost its way in that, mm. but the, it's so prevalent in the armed forces, um, yeah. because you get the extremes, like you get the, you know, and say America, like a lot of the Marines and stuff I've worked with, you get the extremes of America and you get then the extremes of Australia. Um, and the army, man, you'll get the furthest left and right of arc of personalities, yeah. um, and that you're attracted, that the guys attracted are like that. You get a lot of these like guys who are off farms who have never fucking seen like another human. Like, you know, yeah. I, I have mates who are off 
you know, two million acre farms in the middle of the fucking outback where it's a 600 mile drive to their letterbox sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> and they've just been shooting pigs with a, with a 22. And you're like, yeah. where the fuck did they find this dude? <laughs> like, <laughs> so um, and he's just loose as fuck, but like the biggest Aussie ever, like, you know, basically out there is a bush ranger. Um, so great. So, so great. I can yes, get back to Australia. I want to bring the family back uh, at some point and get, get down there and travel around. Jimmy Spithill's a, a friend and he's uh, one of the greatest sailors in the, in the world, America's cup sailor. And uh, just awesome, awesome guy. We've done some, uh, some things together and just such a solid dude, but I need to get down to get, need to get down to, to Australia here with the family. I think at some point it's just such a, such a beautiful spot. It is. It's just such a, it's such a fucking haul here, man. Like I've done it four times this year, States and back. Dang. And, you know, it's uh, like, thank God I can fly direct Sydney, Dallas or Melbourne, Dallas. But, wow. oh man, you know that it's a 17 hour 20 flight, the, the middle flight. And so I have to fly like where I am from to Melbourne or Sydney, it's, you know, an hour or two. And then whatever layover, then 17 hours, 20 solid. And it's just direct. And I'm like, right. It's such a, it's a one, once a couple of year thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, it can be brutal. Depend, I guess depending life. on how you're flying, it can be, uh, it can be really brutal, but oh, yeah, uh, I'm, not, I'm not a best-selling journalist. <laughs> like an author, mate. I'm, I'm sitting back like this. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. That, can, that can be rough. <laughs> oh my gosh. What's uh, so when, when you guys, when you finish your uh, advanced training and you get to your, your unit and you do your training with them, um, then, uh, do you do those trips? Do you do Malaysia? Do you do the Iraq and Afghanistan or what? Do you do all those or where, what, what's your, your, what's your path from there? No. So, um, it's, uh, trips are pretty lucky actually for us. Like normally, um, it sort of rotates every three years through tours coming up for the unit. Mm. Um, now I'll get the specifics of this wrong, but the meat of it's fine. Yeah. We had like four, um, four companies in our battalion, um, and three, including like specialists, like support company. So support got collapsed, uh, into uh, the other three companies. So it got collapsed like across and then one company did Malaysia, one did Iraq and one did Afghan. Okay. Um, and so you're on the Afghan. Had, I got the Afghan one, which is, which was by far the best one at the time. Hmm. Um, and then they had to really once like we, um, I was on the second Afghan trip. They needed to like re-spool up some dudes to make a, a first trip as well. Um, so we did two Afghan trip and that's a lot, man. Like anyone that you know, knows infantry battalions, to man like four tours, you know, two being, well, three being, um, you know, fairly high risk tours. That's a lot to ask in a 12 month period of any fucking unit anywhere in the world. Like that's a lot, um, where you're doing different missions and whatever. So that period, that 2016 ish period for us was just wild. Like that much shit happening, man. Um, like never, never on rest. (laughs) It was just like, you're doing this course, you're doing this course, you're going here, going there. Um, run up this fucking hill, you know, typical infantry work, you know, nothing. The infantry is not glamorous, but it's the lack of glamour, which I, which is beautiful. Mm. Like it's, you know, it's not these SF boys, you know, getting out of choppers and doing, it's like, yeah, it's just a fucking grind. Um, it's just like, yeah, yeah, that machine gun just needs to go there. It doesn't matter how it happens. Just fucking push it. You know, <laughs> oh, fuck. Um, but yeah, um, spooled up with those tours and then we all, um, deployed at different times. And it was weird because, you know, my trip was eight months and two weeks, I want to say. So a long trip. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the Yanks do some of you a lot longer, but there was guys I hadn't seen for like two years, man, because the trip before us was say six or seven months. Mm-hmm. And then we came in to do, do like a handover, takeover, like a hotel with them. 
Um, but of course you only see the dudes you're really handing over with like your area, your camp. And we did our trip, came back and I'm like, I've seen some dudes in like fucking two years. Um, and the unit was basically empty at that time. Like, you know, you've got a few tens of guys, maybe a hundred back there at any one point. Mm -hmm. So it's actually, it was actually good at like the end of 18, uh, sorry, end of 17 to have like all, all the uh, troops back at the unit for the first time in years. Mm Um, which was fucking really special, man, um, for a bit. Because, you know, you, you love your unit. You really do. You're up at the boozer, you know, whatever, taking the piss, smashing beers, you know, drinking out of 50 cal uh, barrels and shit. Like, you know, we had, we had a javelin beer bong at one point, like just random piss. But, um, yeah, it was, it was fucking good. And the Marines we worked with, um, I don't even know how this happened, but, like, you know what a shoey is? Like the Aussie thing you drink out of your boot? Okay, yeah, like, yeah. Seen that the um Formula One driver Ricardo he made it famous he got on the he went got on the party and picked okay. his like champagne and his shoe and drinks that's like a very Australian thing okay these Yanks gave us a boot from like Vietnam as like oh. a it was like meant to be like put on the shelf somewhere yeah. as like you know oh this was from the first Marines whatever battalion and whoever they gifted it to at the boozer just poured a beer in it was and it like that's fucking gross like that's like, that's like a sixty year old boot now wow shit like that like yeah it's every thursday booze up but yeah oh man it's uh the battalions are really fucking fun oh man what stands out to you about your your time in afghanistan when you think back on it or um mm. or during your time there a lesson or what uh when you think about it what what stands out to you about those eight months and two weeks that you did over there man to be honest and this is going to sound really cringe but it's my age of how fucking young i was yeah. um like I look back now and I'm like, holy fuck, that's a lot of responsibility on a fucking 20 year old. Like I basically don't trust myself with the microwave at the moment. And I'm like, holy shit. Like I was 20. Um, and some guys were 18, having their 18th birthday. I know. I know. And I was a, um, I was a, a crew commander of a, um, Bushmaster, like armored vehicle. Um, so just before the trip went, um, there was a restructure of how the trip was actually working because typically we had transport drivers drive the vehicles um, like the our armored vehicles and we had like the infantrymen doing the work out of the vehicle mm. and there was this really bad clash where we wanted the um commanders of the vehicle like the guy on the gun and navigating we wanted them to be infantrymen uh but there was this lack of like training and this sort of rift mm. this rift between the tr- the core of drivers and the infantry like the infantry get along with fucking no one <laughs> so I got called up, man, like literally just before I meant to go. And it's like, Willie, you've got to be here onto this course onto, to learn like this vehicle system, whatever, and then learn all the fucking subsidiary systems for that vehicle. You know, the blue force tracker, the, um, weapon station on, cause we, we had a few flat tops with the gun, but most was the weapon station. Like you're sitting in the car mm. with like the thermal camera gun joystick fucking mm. thing. Um, and, and all this other shit, different radios, diff- everything. Mm. Um, so I has, had to become like a crew commander of a vehicle, like fucking quick. Typically, mm. crew commanders are meant to be like full full track corporals who had done this shit. And I had fucking no idea, man. And I deploy. I've driven this thing like twice. Um, luckily, I wasn't driving. Wow. I was commanding it. And next thing, it's like, yeah, Willie, you're going to be, you know, he's like, well, my sergeant who was in charge, like you, you know, I trust your tactics probably the most out of some mm. of these guys. So... And I want you to lead this convoy and I want you to, you know, uh, you're up front doing, and I'm at the time like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, 
I guess it's just like blinded young man's arrogance. But now I look back and I'm like, I was fucking 20, handed yeah. a map of a city and I drive us there. Yeah. Like, holy, like that was a lot. And then I think about that, like, that I would have grown like exponentially in that time. Um, yeah. And I'm like, I'm so stoked on that because it's like, yeah, I was able to actually like grow significantly um, sort of out of my body as a 20 year old when I was working at a job that holds a lot more responsibility than, right. you know, just your average guy in the back of the vehicle. Um, I saw a lot more because most, most guys, um, are just sitting in the back of the vehicle, just fucking, when are we getting there? Mm. Um, where I was lucky to actually, you know, be involved in the movements and whatever mm. as well. You know, you've got your hand on the, on the gun turret, you're doing, you know, you're mapping, you're, you get a better feeling of actually where you are. Um, you sort of get to know the city, um, cause we're working mainly in Kabul okay. uh, or just out of Kabul. Uh-huh. So yeah, and you know, planning like you know, so, like my sergeant was like, "Willie, I want you to plan the route to get to you know camp, whatever. We're going to go see, um, we're going to go to this base. You know, we did some shit like you know, it was nothing special, but we're going out here to the, go to this like Green Berets base to do this or do that. Right? Let's fuck you. You just plan it. Um, and that shit, man. As a twenty year old, I was like, holy fuck, <laughs> like yeah, you know, um, and I look back on that now, and I'm like, yeah, I was just young, and there was do- yeah, yeah weird dudes celebrating eighteenth birthdays and shit. Yeah. Um, but I miss it, man. Like if you said to do it again, I would, because you've got like an, all the bullshit of life doesn't exist there. Like you're young, which is, helps a lot, but it's not like you've got a rent to pay because all your stuff goes back into storage at home. Um, or your rent gets like somewhat covered. You, know, you don't have like, it, I had like no external stress at all. Yeah. I was just living, living the life, you know, just day in, day out. You're fully involved in something and i think uh, i've heard andy stump talk about this where he's like not many people are just fully every bit of your being is involved in one thing like that's it mm. for a period of time mm. um and that's really nice where like you and i you know you do this and i and you write and i do my youtube and whatever but we've got all this external shit which takes up 50 percent of our fucking brain power mm. is just paying the registration on our vehicle mm. making sure there's food in there like piss like that it just yeah. takes up so much of your life where that is all gone on those tours. Yeah. Um, and yeah, even if there's like hard times, it's like you're always with your boys, you know, you're always, it's always together. And then you come back and it just start, like everyone just, just dissipates. Yeah. Um, now I think it would have changed a lot if we lost a guy on the tour. We didn't lose any, um, thank God. Uh, but I think that would have probably changed a lot for us, but that didn't happen. But what did happen, and this is a, a bloody lesson for young men, is we lost, um, was it two or three? I'm trying to think back now. I think it was three. We lost three guys within two months on fucking motorbikes when they got home. Um, Cause the Australians get paid really well when we deploy, we go tax free uh, and then we get like a danger pay uh, and our normal pay is pretty good. So a, a private soldier in the Australian army will earn about $5,000 a fortnight Australian. So 35, 3,600 us a fortnight tax free. Um, while in country, which is pretty fucking good. If you're 18, 19, like that is good money. Anyway, young 18, 19, 20 year old guys, they get back and like, I'm buying this thousand CC fucking Yamaha R1. Mm-hmm. Um, and within two months, you know, we lost no one for a nine month tour or eight yeah. and a, eight months, a bit tour. And as soon as we get home, multiple guys killed on um, super sport bikes. And you're like, there, that's, that's the danger in this, isn't it? Um, so but tough. yeah, it's, yeah. 
Yeah, it's just part of it, man. Uh, it's so tough. What uh, What was your mission when you went over there? And was it the same mission you thought it was going to be when you got your briefings before you left? And then when you put boots on the ground in country, uh, did it shift or did you have one specific mission the whole time? Do you, were you aware of a commander's intent and a, and a mission for these eight months or for, hey, the first four months and then it's going to shift? Yeah. And was that articulated um, to you guys? I don't know if there was a true commander's intent for the fucking 20 years we're in Afghan. Like, yeah, like yeah. what was our actual fucking intent there? Right. Like, you know, it seemed like sometimes we had intent and it's like, we're switching missions to this. Um, so yeah. our mission was a train advise assist mission. So, you know, I don't have any cool fucking, you know, shoot our fucking stories. You know, we do it. I don't have that shit. Um, which, you know, 99% of guys who went to Afghan <laughs> do not have that shit. And, 0.5% of the other guys are making it up. And then there's the real <laughs> fucking hitters too. It's like, it's like and not to take piss at everyone, but like, look back at post-wars. You're like, hang on, why was everyone who served in those wars now, like I was in the SAS? Like, no, not all of you fucking were. Like not everyone who went to Vietnam was in the SAS. Like, hang on. Yeah. Um, and I heard a, a Vietnam vet tell me, an uh, SF guy tell me, gosh, 30 years ago, 25 at least. Uh, he's like, I've never met another Vietnam vet who wasn't SF. Or somebody yeah, who did, yeah, you know, yeah. and then I've heard the same thing about, uh, same thing. I've never met, uh, an Israeli in the United States who wasn't Mossad or part of some secret unit over there. Yeah, no so a very similar type of a deal. Yeah. So the older I get, if you interview me again in 20 years, you know, I'll probably be here standing <laughs> gray on. Fucking, I won't, I won't rewatch this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, um, so it was a train advise assist mission, um, which basically what we're to do is provide protection for, um, like the VIPs coming into um, Afghan National Army bases to either do like engineering work, like building shit up uh, or uh, the training of like officers. Mm. Um, so we would have high ranking officers come in from the States, Australia, wherever. We worked with a lot of the Dutch as well. Um, a lot of everyone actually. We were actually under British command while I was there um, under the first Irish and then the Yorks or something. Um, anyway, fucking... Uh, yeah, we basically provide like armored movements for these VIPs on where they wanted to go, what they wanted mm -hmm. to view. So if they wanted to view the Afghan Air Force dropping bombs, you know, we would have an element take them out there to witness um, them in their little fucking things dropping bombs or all the way through to, yeah, they're learning to leopard crawl. Today, we want to go fucking see it. Or, you know, engineers, or we're going to go, we're going to build a new school building here. Yeah. So we're going to do this. So we would provide like the security on the ground for them as well as armored movements um, and then random bits and pieces like, you know, fucking camp security. And we did a fair bit, like I did a fair bit of just armored, like um, shuttle movements. So, you know, this needs to be delivered from here to there. Like this bit of crypto equipment needs to be moved from base to base um, through whatever zone. So you can't take an up armored vehicle. You actually need a proper armored vehicle, not just a land cruiser with a fucking heavy windshield on it. Um <laughs> So move that. So yeah, nothing, nothing glamorous, man, yeah. but I got a lot out of it. Like I got a lot out of that, that tour. Like I think a lot of infantrymen like myself, you know, we want that kicking in door, shooting out missions, but you speak to guys who did that. Like you don't, you, you know, at that point you, you're really putting yourself up to a lot of risk. You, all your mates are going to be at risk. You're probably going to lose dudes. Um, so it, it's, it's a lot like that's what we wanted. That's what somewhat of some of us were more expecting, but where we actually got was a fair bit under that. But at the time it was the best thing going. Like even yeah. like, you know, at, at the time, that's what the, like everyone's all the Americans, like, the Americans are doing the same fucking thing. 
Mm. You can't look at what the Green Berets are doing or the SEALs or the... De- that has no bearing on what we're fucking doing. Mm. Um, you know, at one point when we the hospital um, got blown up in Kabul in 17, which was like horrible bloody thing because I saw that go off. Like I'm sitting in the vehicle, man, um, on the on a helicopter landing. Just, we had to just go clear a landing zone for some British Pumas. Um, and me and Courtney, the driver, we're just sitting in there like fucking eating snacks or whatever, listening to like, it, well, we had, you had to listen to a meatloaf song every time <laughs> we drove out the gate. So we're listening to like Paradise by the, by the dashboard light, then just this massive fucking bang. Um, and next thing, like every vehicle fucking come back in, like collapse everything. Yeah. Um, and we were meant to be quick reaction force that. So we took up a QRF as well. Um, so a five minute quick reaction force, to anything in the city. Um, but it was basically turned off because it was like, look, there's no Westerners involved in this. Like they're not involved. We're not, we're not going, which I guess is a fair enough thing. You know, we're not going to quick reaction to if there's not guys in contact. Mm-hmm. Next thing we're seeing fucking SBS on the PT. It's like the SBS putting ladders through windows and we're like, come, this sucks. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Come on. Going, um, going to get some. Navy Federal Credit Union. I've been a member of Navy Federal Credit Union since 1996 and have only had incredible experiences. Getting a new car is exciting and you deserve a hassle-free buying experience. You can get a decision in seconds and enjoy great rates. With everything you need in one place, Navy Federal's Car Buying Center is your one-stop shop for researching, financing, buying, protecting, and enjoying your next car. You could search for new and used cars, access vehicle history reports, enjoy discounts on auto insurance, and more. And you can make the most of your time on the road wherever you go with our flagship credit card. Whether you're taking a trip to relax or see somewhere new, you deserve a travel card that does the work for you. The flagship credit card will earn you three times points on travel, plus up to $100 in statement credits towards TSA PreCheck or Global Entry and a free year of Amazon Prime. With two times the points and all purchases outside of travel, the rewards don't have to end when your vacation does. For more on Navy Federal's car buying experience and flagship rewards, visit NavyFederal.org. Open to the armed forces, the DOD, veterans, and their families. Credit and collateral subject to approval. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA. Visa is a registered service. Mark of Visa. Used by Navy Federal under license. Navy Federal Credit Union. Were you, back yeah. then, were you guys at, were you guys like, oh, this is awesome. Hey, we're here. This is what we trained for. We might get our chance to do something. Or were you like, what are we doing here? Uh, were you thinking like strategically or were you thinking just tactically? I think a lot of the infantry, like the, the um, uh, a lot of like the private soldier who were just doing that like security, they were like that. They're like, what the fuck are we doing here? Like, come mm. on, you know, we're looking after this buddy, this um, lieutenant colonel doing mm. fucking whatever, doing having a fucking cup of tea with some other commander. Like, mm. fuck off. Um, and there's a lot of that. A colonel will be like, oh, I just want to go see the view from the top of this fucking hill, and it'll take us a day of planning and a day of work to t- actually get it. All he sees, he gets to the back of the vehicle, drives up there and walks out the door. And, oh, look at this. Where we've been doing all this fucking shit behind the scenes. Mm. Um, so I think a lot of guys had that feeling of like, what the fuck are we doing here? Mm. Where like, I'll say oh, I was fucking very blessed being a commander of a vehicle. I had a lot more on because it yeah. was I was actually planning routes. I was actually looking at the danger. I wasn't just sitting in the back of the vehicle trying to get some sleep. Um, but there was definitely points like that where can we just go and fucking shoot someone? Like, you know, and I, even though I my sergeant, you know, he'd done 
uh, I want to say seven or eight trips by then, mostly oh, the wow. combat era. And he was like, right, we're going to go down this road. And I'm not meant to get, he's like, we're going down this road. <laughs> like he just wanted some shit to happen. Wow. Um, but man, it was, it was the best thing going. You talk yeah. to the Yanks and the MRAPs, whatever. And it was like, you know, yeah, we're doing the same, we're doing the same piss. Um, yeah. so whether it's lucky, not lucky, like I, I got a tour, like, you know, that yeah. was, that's part of it. Um, and I'm happy about that. Like, yeah, the, the warfighter shit, ah, not that much, but yeah. you know, it's, it's, I, I still, I still look at it very, very fondly. Yeah. Did you guys have a, an alcohol allotment or did you guys have a general order number one? I think as we, uh, we call it in the United States military, which is uh, no drinking, right. no gambling and no, a couple of yeah, other things. We, we were pure dry, dry. Oh trip. really? Okay. Interesting. Yeah, Cause in the early days you were not, if memory serves, yeah. maybe it was the Italians. Sometimes things blend a little bit, you know, it's been a little while. So, uh, maybe it was the Italians, but I thought it was, you. anyway, regardless. The um, SF, yeah. they've never been like dry. Like the SF boys are not, they're not mm. dry. Um, probably the early trips weren't, uh, but the thing is, you know, you, you deploy late in a war like that. Like it, it's, they managed to screw down everything. Like yeah. in the beginning, it's, you know, fucking whatever goes. Um, and then they sort of really tighten the screws on things. Um, you know, and, and we were a bit too late in the war for the really loose shit like that. But, oh, yeah, no, no, no grog. But that's why, because we get a two-week um, relief out of country during our tour. That's um, wild. It, like, we tried that a couple of times, I think, in the in yeah. special operations. I think a, maybe regular or conventional units might have had that. They were there for like a year, a year plus. Some guys, 14 months. Like, but uh, like so that. I think they had it. And then I think we started to maybe do it. But it was just, I don't think for very long. I never did it. But I, I don't think it really worked out for us oh man you know, it was kind of a strange thing oh really it, where'd you go oh, it was the fucking awesome bro because you go to thailand was, or something yeah. where do you go so yeah they'd bring us back to dubai where we had like a staging area in okay. the UAE, um and they'll either return us back home on a flight like they could either shuttle us back home on a on a um chartered flight yeah or they'll give you the equivalent money of a return flight to italy um so we just took the oh, i don't know what it was sixteen hundred dollars whatever it would be and me and one of the boys just we went to Italy and then we went through the Greek islands and like oh, wow. we were fucking because we're we're twenty or maybe yeah. twenty one because I had my birthday there, um, you know we're twenty year old dudes we're earning five grand a fortnight, we're fucking shredded because all you can do is the gym, and we're in the Greek islands and we're just dickheads like we've got infantry attitude man like we'd call it like Afghanitude because you've got like <laughs> this like Afghanistan like big yeah. bulletproof attitude. And we're just, and we've been tanning, like we're, we're like tan ops every <laughs> afternoon, like after whatever's done, we're just yeah. trying to tan up so we can go to fucking Greece. Um, yeah, we did awesome. uh, Italy, Greece, and that was fucking, that was epic. Oh, um, cool. And then we did France at the end and actually did, um, uh, Anzac Day is like uh, Memorial Day um, in the States, but we, it's actually, because I was there for more, uh, Memorial Day this year. Um and, and it was actually a lot of July. The, is it Memorial Day, July the 4th? 4th of July? No. Or is that? No. Uh, Which one May, that? May for, uh, for Memorial Day I, and then 4th of July, shit. Independence Day. Or maybe I was there for May as well because I was, I've been in the States all year. Okay. But it was so much less official than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Like we have all this like official shit still. Um, you know, you're up at 5 a.m. Everyone's at a dawn service mm. um, to emulate, you know, the landings on the beaches in Gallipoli, all this stuff. Wow. Um, and we actually ended up in France, um, in, uh, Villas Bretonneur where Australia is in Villas Bretonneur in France. Um, the Australian flag still flies higher than the French flag in the town because we basically saved the town, um, from the Germans. Like we, wow. we had this massive last stand 
um, hundreds and hundreds of Aussies died. Like it was fucking unbelievable. The story that's happened in villas, Australians still get beers. For, like if you walk into villas and you're Australian, it's like you're a fucking superhero. Like I was driving through this, this little French town, man. And I'm seeing kangaroos painted on walls at the school and Australian flags. And what the fuck is going on here? Wow. Um, and it's still very held like in regard there. Yeah. Um, and we ended up there for Anzac day. Um, that's cool. And yeah, it was, um, fucking epic. Um, yeah. like we ended up there drinking beers with all these other veterans and shit who were there. Um, and that was, that was really special, man. You know, to be yeah. there at dawn service, you know, it's, so it's, you know, four forty-five, five AM. It's cold as fuck, but that simulates like when those, when that was all happening. You know, yeah. the boys it doesn't simulate, of course, but like you know that you get somewhat of the feeling of the boys in the trenches at the time. Um, you can still see the trenches dug in there. You know, I don't know if you've been through France, but it's unbelievable, man. Like I was there again late last year. Um, I ended up in France and went through some of the war areas down Normandy way. Um, went went, went Dunkirk through to Normandy. Um, oh, some of the American stuff, whatever, and. It's unbelievable. You can still see where, where, um, like craters of shells have hit, um, yeah. where trenches are dug. You're like, holy shit. Um, yeah. there's still areas which you, know, you can't go in there because of the fucking landmines. Um, it's yeah, amazing. Yeah. It was, that was, that was very fucking special. Yeah. I was there on for, uh, for the G Day commemoration events, not this last June, but the June before with the yeah. Best Defense Foundation. Uh, I took my daughter and, uh, she was still in high school at the, at the time. And we got assigned to a veteran, taking these World War II veterans back. So she's standing there on the beach in Normandy with someone who was the first guy out of his landing craft. And now yeah. he's late 90s and he's tell, telling her this story. And I've got pictures of it. And, uh, it's a really special, and I could not believe it. I'd heard some stories, but I, and I'd been to, Normandy twice before, but never in June, never early June. And, uh, it was about eight days we were there, I think, but it was, I mean, American flags everywhere, 101st airborne flags everywhere, 82nd airborne flags everywhere, all these military Jeeps and troop transports and uniforms period specific. And it was just incredible to see this outpouring of support for these world war II veterans. We went to a school and gosh, it must've been kindergarten through, let's say eighth grade. And American flag, every single person waving American flags. And it was just so special to see that I've saw more American flags in Normandy in early June than I've ever seen in the United States on Memorial day, veterans day, 4th of July. It is, uh, I encourage every American specifically to go to Normandy in early June and be there for those events and do it now while there are still some world war two veterans alive. Um, so the 80th, uh, anniversary commemoration events are coming up this next June. So I'm planning to planning to be there, but it's, it's incredible. Yeah. The Black Rifle Boys, they jumped out of the out of the plane. Yeah, this, they, yeah. yeah they jumped out. They they, <laughs> they static lined out. Um, and that was one thing that I that I wish I had done in the military because uh, we sent yeah. uh, guys there uh, every June from we, have, we used to have a unit in Germany which was really like a logistics hub for naval special warfare for the SEAL teams, and uh, they would send some people to jump to static line in as part of those commemoration events every year. And uh, yeah. man, that, that's one thing I wish I'd been I'd done while I was in the military, but. Uh, yeah, but it's so special to be there with these guys in their late 90s. And uh, just some of them hadn't been back since then. One guy didn't have a passport, had never left the country again. And we had to yeah. pull strings. The uh, Best Defense Foundation, Donnie Edwards, had to figure out how to get him a passport. And, uh, I mean, it, incredible. I mean, it's just it's a special special place to, to be. And they remember. And, and they don't just remember. They passed it on. So now they've passed it on to their kids and grandkids uh, over there. So it's because yeah. these kids are five years old waving flags, six years old, seven years old waving flags. And it's, it's amazing. It's really special. 
I will say that, man, like France does for all the all the problems the French have, the French out there, like the, the small town French, this is with everything. Is if you, you see a country for the the capital city, right. it's not it like you know, fucking America is not LA, Australia mm. is not Melbourne, France isn't fucking Paris. Mm. Um the French do a fucking amazing job at those World War One, World War Two areas. It is they do such a fucking good job, yeah. man. For, through from Dunkirk down to like Flanders Fields, Normandy, mm. that is un- unbelievable. From World yeah. War One and Two, how they like preserve all of that. It's yeah. fucking fantastic, and they're still finding shit, man. Like yeah. I went to a, a thing uh, that was only say five years old. They found like a mass grave, and they were like, "Oh, look, there was a." Um, Australian like medical facility here. And then mm. there was basically like a fucking mass grave out the back. Like you've just, you're, you cause you're mass cas the entire time, like the entire, for years, you're mass casualties. Um, and we found all these bodies and it's like a new, right in the center of the town, they, they made like a new, um, uh, cemetery. It's only wow. a, like five years old. It's like, oh, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, and they do it. They do such a good job of it, man. Like for the, for the Aussies, the Yanks, everyone, it's great. Yeah, that's incredible. So what was it like to go back to Afghanistan then after having this trip through the Greek islands and, and Italy and France uh, and your, I mean, what is it like to go back then to, uh, oh, time, time to take the Colonel up to the hill again? Bro, I remember sitting in the airport, like fucking wrecked. Cause what we did like, and this, everyone thinks I'm a piss wreck, but like for like 14 days, me and Griffo, my mate, we just, we just sunk piss man for like 14 days. And we're sitting in. Um, for, for, let me translate for those um, listening or, or watching that aren't from Australia. So that means you're oh, drink, drinking, drinking a lot. Beer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, and, and the thing is, we we hadn't seen like we hadn't seen another fucking female for months. So we're drinking <laughs> beers, trying to meet girls, all this shit. And we know it's not we're not going to meet another girl for another six months or drink a beer, or whatever. So it's like get it all in while we can. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, we're sitting in like Charles de Gaulle Airport in in Paris, just like. The MPs wouldn't find us. Like if we just went AWOL, like mm. they, they'd fucking give up. Like what are they going to do? They look for like a week. They're going to be like, fuck this. Yeah. Um. You know, he's going to be in Ibiza somewhere. <laughs> like, yeah. um, and we like, legitimately, and I think everyone who did these considered just AWOL. Um, but yeah, we got back in, yeah. you know, typical shit, you know, CSM come down and drug test everyone and all this shit mm. um, and back in, but it was, that was it was a decent like breakup of the tour, but yeah. it was coming back. You're like, oh fuck, yeah. <laughs> there on. you go, yeah. Back at it. Oh man. So you finish up your tour, get home, yeah. and then what point does the uh, do like does the cancer diagnosis come into play? When do you start feeling like how does that? What's that? Yeah. That, what's that story? So I came back. So we deployed in Jan to September, I think, and then we we're meant to have like four weeks off mandatory. Um, that ended up getting cut short for me because it's like we we want you on um the name's changed now, but it's a corporal's course, um, sub subject two for corporal. Um, so you can actually do corporal's course before Lance corporal's course. Just, you just can do it. Um, so it's like, Hey, we, we, we need you back. You're doing this promotional course, whatever come back. So that was fucking hectic as well. Um, get that done. I'm not sure how long it is, but you know, a couple of months, mm-hmm. say maybe it's eight weeks. I'm not sure. Do that course. Sort of. So a whole year of just being away. Um, and then I travel again that, um, over that new year's period, I did, um, like five weeks of traveling there, went to Finland, whatever it was fucking, that was fucking wild. It was awesome. Like Scandinavia, fuck it, the best. Um, anyway, come back and like, I've just got this like piercing headache that I cannot fucking get rid of. Um, and in February in the army, Feb 20, uh, sorry, tw- Feb 18, it's where codeine became like an over the count, uh, became become like a prescription drug. So I was taking codeine to get my headache on and then, 
it's like, well, you'll go, you know, you'll, if you get drug tested, you'll, you'll go hot for that. Huh. So basically it was like, fuck this. Um, saw my, um, section commander, uh, on like a Friday morning and I was like, man, I just can't pack March today. Like I just can't fucking do it. Like my head's killing me. And basically it's like, well, will, like Willie, I know you like I've seen some of the States you've rocked up from uni night, Thursday night from the pub and still pack March on a Friday. Like if, mm-hmm. if you're not pack marching, you've got to be in a fucking state. Um, like, you know, you, you're hurting. And he's like, Monday morning, you need to go to the fucking aid post, get it looked at, whatever. So pretty shit weekend, like headache, um, canceled because I was, I was skydiving at the time. So I canceled my jumps, all this shit. Monday morning in the doctor. And it's basically like, Oh, Willie, like, yeah, man. Um, like, because you're in the army, it's really easy for us to get you like a scan on your head. Um, so I go away, get a scan. And I'm like, that's fucking overkill. I just wanted some drugs, man. Um, anyway, fucking, um, went in, got like a CT scan mm-hmm. and I was driving home, probably avoid, probably going the long way to avoid going back to work quickly. Um, as any good soldier does stop by for a four hour lunch at fucking subway. But, um, and then, yeah, the, the um, imaging specialist rang me and was like, hey, hey, Mr. Williams, I can't get in touch with your doctor, but you need to come back because we need to do another scan. And I'm just like, what the fuck? And Because they're, they're not a doctor. Like they, they're not your doctor. They cannot tell you shit. Um, so I basically had to turn around. And the next thing I was putting like an MRI tube. Um, and I was like, this is just such fucking – because if you, you don't just – you don't think that that's going to be the first thing. You don't just think – fucking brain tumor that's killing you. you don't you don't think that at all um so yeah and then next thing i'm in this get back to the doctor and he's like yeah look they've found whatever um whatever um mass in your head that's four i think it's 47 millimeters at the time so um what's that you know a, a, a two inch thing in your head like that that's large you know that that's pretty fucking big um like it's 36 mil by um 30 or 47 or whatever it is, which in non-freedom units, but um, in, in commie units, but um, you know, it, it's, it's a large mass in your head. Um, and then it's like, yeah, you need this emergency appointment with a neurosurgeon. And at the time I'm just like, what the fuck is like, this is such overkill. Like, I'm just like, this is bullshit. Um, get in with the neuro and he's like, yeah, look, I need you in a, in a biopsy, um, like tomorrow I need you on the fucking in surgery. Um, I think it's going to be this um, and we'll go and try whatever, like this glioma. Um, <clears throat> so get in and it's, I'd never been in surgery before and it's pretty, it's not, you know, it's not just getting, it's, it's a pretty major operation. It's brain surgery. They're cutting through your skull. Um, so into surgery, biopsy. Uh, I wake up out of surgery thinking, oh, they're going to tell me the results like now, like, you know, because, oh, we sent it off to pathology you know, thinking like it's a blood test and you have a couple of hours or get results. No, it's like, I oh, know we'll know in fucking six weeks. Six and I'm like, weeks. What? Like what the fuck? And I often say to people, uh, cause I talk to a lot of people like mental health issues, but you know, privately and publicly and whatever that hanging in limbo is way fucking worse than knowing bad news. Mm-hmm. Um, like that limbo period, because it could have like, you know, brain, brain tumors go like the left and right of arc of brain tumors is fucking mental. Like, you know, it could be, Oh, you're dying tomorrow through to, you're going to last a couple of years or 10 years. You know, it, it's, it's pretty wide variety. Um, you know, pick your own fun trip, but, um, you know, we, 
And, and I didn't know that. I was like, holy fuck. Like, I didn't know it was going to be this fucking long. And I'm just in limbo, which was just shocking, man. Um, and then on the fucking day, I was meant to go see my my neurosurgeon. He's like, oh, no, we forgot to do one of the tests. And I'm in the car driving there. It's like, it's going to be another, like, 10 days. And I'm just lighting this dude up, man. Like, I'm in the car, like, full section commander mode. Like, they, they forgot to order one of the tests. They didn't forget to, like, do something while they were in your head. Yeah, just forgot to order it. Like, they okay. just had to send some of the cells back in. But uh, at the time, I didn't give a fuck. I'd been going through fucking hell, man. Like, so I was just lighting this dude up. I think fucking rightfully so. Um, So, yeah, uh, eventually, you know, got the, got the results. Whatever the results weren't shocking but not great so you know it's um definitely not as bad as it could be but like you know this this will kill you in a few years um so and, and the things with these tumors man it's like the the amount they can actually do is so fucking slim like they're like we're not prepared to operate on you it's too dangerous um because it controls my right motor strip and they're like look you're gonna have some neurological deficit if we do that and it it's mixed in with cells like this. Like it's just a complete mash of cells. So I had one explained to me, it's a little bit like, at least in that region, if you've got like a syringe full of like, you know, red liquid and put it into an orange and try and cut that liquid out like mm. that, that's, you know, that diffusion is very hard Wow. Um, to cut at the cellular level. Like, you know, we can't do that. They can't believe I don't have um, a deficit there. Like no, the all three neurosurgeons on board with me, they cannot believe I don't have a deficit in my in my body. They're like, your tumor has literally taken up a part of your like fucking operating system in your brain. Like we don't know how your right hand leg. We don't know how that's working. Um, so I actually, I've actually gone away and done. Um, luckily, I think there's two machines in the southern hemisphere for functional MRI. Um, whatever it like, uh, whatever level of functional MRI this is, mm. and one of them is in is in my fucking city. Um. Thank God. And they've actually, they actually contacted me. Look, this is nothing to do with your case, but are you willing to come in and do some like shit for like medical research? And I'm like, fucking whatever. Um, just because it's very uncommon uh, in my age, my health, whatever, to actually have all of this um, as well as having no deficit. Um, so then the doctors, they literally make, what do you want to do? You can either do radiotherapy or chemotherapy or nothing. Like what? And I remember being in there like, what the fuck are you telling me? Like, you know, I've, I'm a lot more chilled out now than I used to be. But I mean, like, what the fuck? Are you, what are you asking me for? I didn't go to med school for fucking 15 years to be a neurosurgeon. Like, you tell me what I'm doing. That's like, I'm fucking whatever. And then there was like a big fucking fight between, because you have like a team. When these big things happen, you have like two neurosurgeons on board, an oncologist, um, a radiologist, all these fucking people who, and of course, they look at it from their own aspect. Um, and I always use this in like army terms or military terms that like, if you're doing a mission, so you're hitting this area, the seals will do it differently to the, to the braze and the, the deltas will do it differently to the SA. Everyone has their own way of looking at it because they see what their, um, uh, like the way they would do it, what their specialty is, you know, they might insert a different way, do whatever. So of course, an oncologist thinks that, you know, chemical influence is the best way of doing it through chemo, whatever. Um, the others might think radiotherapy is the best. Other surgeons will want to do. And the thing is, it's that too many chiefs rule. You're like, well, one of you take fucking control and be like, this is the best outcome. Mm. Um, and thank fuck. And I know people always talk about AI, but that's actually what will come through is eventually. Um, and I actually supported monetarily a guy doing this, um, a very high end, fuck, very high end surgery, a surgeon 
who's basically building a database mm -hmm. of all these people like worldwide who have had illnesses like this. Mm -hmm. And you'll plug in, oh yeah, so you, you know, you know um, uh, Private Smith or like, James Smith has this, right, uh, put it in. And then it will tell you, right, we've run this against a million people who've had this illness. The best possible outcome was we did surgery, radio, chemo in that order or whatever. Wow. Um, so that's very interesting on that front. Yeah. But um, yeah, at my end, it was like, oh, what do you want to do? And I'm like, what the fuck? So I was meant to start radiotherapy on Monday. And then my surgeon found out on Friday afternoon and rang me like hysterical. He's like, what the fuck is that happening for? That's canceled. Like you cannot do that. Um because you can only do radio once. He's like, we can't do that. So then you're starting chemotherapy on Monday. And then the oncologist is ringing me, cracking the, like, man, it was oh, just fucked. Man. Like it was a complete fucking shit fight. And it's not the fault of anyone. Like these people are very, very proficient people. Yes. Like, you know, the, the whole idea that these guys don't know what they're doing is bullshit. These, they know what they're doing. It's just so uncommon in someone my age, this particular type of tumor, like all this was very like, you know, um, it's so unknown. Like you're talking about a few other cases similar. So it's like, we mm. don't really know what to do. So then I started chemo that was initially meant to be three months, um, which was all right. It's a different type. It's like a, um, uh, basically like chemo tablets, which a lot mm. can go now. Um, but then I had to still sit in the chair and whatever and get um, pumped for steroids and some other shit um, to keep me like going. So you're taking steroids and stuff to keep you sort of, operating on yeah. those to like strengthen your immune system and everything. Uh, and then it pushed another three months. So it ended up at six months. And I thought I was like, I'm like, even after that first three, I was like, yep, this is done, you know, whatever. And then I'll call it another three months and I get in at six months and he just, oh yeah, I think we'll do another six months of this. And I'm mm. like, I'm, I'm fucked, man. Like chemo's shocking. Um, which I'm sure everyone, you know, um, everyone sadly has had, a, has had exposure to someone who's gone through that treatment and knows how, how hellish chemotherapy is. Like it is, it's hellish, man. It's shocked because it attacks cells. It just attacks any rapidly dividing cell. It doesn't matter if it's a tumor cell or cells in your nuts or cells in your brain. It doesn't matter. It attacks anything rapidly dividing. So I had to like, you know, free sperm because you'll become, um, uh, you'll probably have no sperm count after this because that's rapidly dividing. You get chemo fog in your brain. So it starts killing brain cells. Um, you know, it's not targeted. That's the problem with chemo. It treats everything. Your toenails go to shit. All of, like, you know, it's just a full body. So you just fucked. And that broke me, man, like six more months. And that like, that broke me. It was the hardest thing I've ever done physically, mentally, emotionally, like, you know, any, any course to get on like an army course, it's fucking a walk in the park compared to it. Um, you know, and it was like, what the fuck? Um, six months. Yeah, six more months. I ended up in hospital. I ended up in, like um, it pretty much an ICU for a bit because I got that I got like a minor infection, but I was that unwell. They were, like ended up just fucked up, and I started all my veins because they were doing so many like IVs and shit on me. All my veins started like collapsing because oh, you can't like IV then IV a vein like again and again. Um, at least in a short period, so I started like collapsing veins to the point where no nurse could actually get a line in me in the in the fucking hospital. Um. So they ended up bringing down like trauma surgeons. Like they had to like, walk up the wing, get a trauma surgeon, come down and be like, right, can you just get one in an artery or some shit? Um, and and it's, the thing is, man, like this is all, you know, low intensity stuff, but it's like, you're so unwell. You just, it's so frustrating, but then you've got this brain fog that you can't, you're just sort of not knowing what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, like I couldn't, for example, 
sit in a room with like the television on and talk to someone because my brain was running at like so low, like fucking RPM that I couldn't like judge between them because it was just so bad. And uh, my girlfriend only this year has been, and it's like four years on has been like, yeah, you're, you're, you seem so much more alert now. Mm. Like even the last year, it took you years to get over that like fog. Wow. Um, and that's a whole bunch, you know, it's stress related, it's drug related, it's like chemo drug related, all this. Um, oh man, that was hell. I, I know even sitting here with you, I can't believe I actually did that. Like, like you're talking and I'm like, I can't believe that was a phase in my life. Like yeah. it, it, this is and it's, it's credit to the human body, man. It can bounce back from some fucking bullshit. Like, you know, people in the military who your body has just been completely broken down over a week of an operation or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you bounce back and you're like, how was, and you probably have a bit of this. You look back and you're like, I was actually that guy in the photo. Like, what the fuck? That was me. Um, and there's photos of me in, you know, a chemo chair all fucked up. And I'm like, I was, that was me. Like, I can't believe that was actually a stage of life. And that's a bit of the beauty of life is I think, you know, you should have, I'm not saying you should have fucking kids, but you should have variety in life where I was that guy with the gun and I was that guy doing this or like, not just, oh, yeah, I went to university and then now I work in this office and it hasn't changed for 20 years. Like actually give yourself more variety, good and bad, um, or expose yourself to good and bad. But yeah, man, it was, um, it was fucking hellish. And then I got to the end of it and it's like, look, you've become immune to the chemotherapy now. Um, the problem with, um, and I can't remember the exact name of the drugs now, but the, there's only one that can actually cross the blood brain barrier. For, so there's a few, I think there's a few hundred different types of chemo out there that oncologists can like mix up. Uh, but for, for, for brain stuff, there's only one type. Um, so they can actually cross that barrier and you and work in the brain. Problem is that same drug has a very high threshold for like immunity. Like you can build immunity to it very quickly and it stop, basically stops working. Uh, and that's what happened to me was we saw like a pretty big decrease in the tumor by a few millimeters, which is a lot, you know, um, in the first few months and then just like no fucking change for nine months um, because I basically built an immunity to the drug. Um, it's foreign body, foreign thing. Your body's like, fuck this. It builds an immunity, doesn't do anything. Um, so basically I had to stop chemo and now I'm watching weight. Um, it's like, look, there's only one surgeon who would actually operate on me, a uh, very infamous guy called Charlie Teo. Um, and I think famous, like it is infamous for the wrong reasons. People think he's a bit of a, cowboy but he's not um and i'll defend him to the hills but uh he's actually just been banned like d fucking it's not d barred like um kicked out of the doctor's fellowship whatever can't operate in australia um but all the other neuros they're like we this is inoperable so it's classified as inoperable um and incur- you can't cure it uncurable um so i just have a scan now every three months basically just seeing what's changing um and if they could maybe do an operation down the line somewhere, but what they were originally trying to do with the chemo is um, imagine like you've got brain matter and tumor matter. And it's like this, what they were sort of trying to do was kill that like diffusion bit mm-hmm. and have it more like this. So they could actually cut down the tumor out. Okay. So trying to like defuse that, like outer, like that foggy edge of the tumor um, didn't exactly work like that. And with, you know, um, neuroplasticity and things like this bits of your actual control are taken up by the tumor like the tumor this is the problem with brain tumors man these are a fucking prick is they can actually because they're brain cells they can actually take bits of like pieces of your actual neuroactivity on board or pass through them and it's fucking wild like when i did the functional mri 
they're like, oh, you move your foot. And it's like my foot would move and you'd see which part of your brain's firing. And it's like, oh, it's firing over here, but that passes directly through the tumor. And it's like, what the fuck? Um, and they have people, man, who's like half their fucking brain is like tumor operating. Like, and they don't even know. Um, it's, it's a shocking thing. It's, um, oh yeah, these things are absolute prick, man. It's absolute prick. What do they tell you when you, when you finish that six months, uh, or the three months after, and you've, you've done the, the, uh, scans again, like what, what are they, the doctors telling you your prognosis is at that point? Yeah. So I've only ever been given a time frame from one doctor who was the radio, um, radiologist, radiologist, who's radiotherapy. So, and he said, you know, five or seven years and it's been fucking five now. Um, but my primary neurosurgeon, um, and she's unbelievable, this, um, professor Amal, um, and it, in neuro, something people need to learn to, if you ever see neuro, is like people are like, they're the rudest people ever. And you're like, yeah, because they're not normal people. They're not you and I who are hanging out with the boys, drinking beers in the army. You know, they're, they've gone and studied for 10 years and then they continue studying every single day and they're working with people who prognosis is shit. Like I think about her and I'm like, the prognosis of, you're telling someone every single day of their life that they're dying like quickly. Um, and a horrible way to go. Like, you know, brain tumors, whatever, is not a good way to go. Um, Cause you'd lose, you lose, start losing yourself, all this shit. They're dealing with that all the time. They're still studying. She spends like six months a year, either in Europe or the States, still like just continue further study on the brain because it's so complex. Um, the, the reason they seem like weird people is because they're somewhere on the fucking strip on the, on the spectrum somewhere. Um, because, you need to be like a neurosurgeon is not you or I to do a 14 hour surgery on a brain. You and I, normal people don't do that. They're the 0.1% who can do that. And you know, what lacks is social skills. They're sort of doctor patient uh, relationship. So you're like, just deal just, just fucking put up with it. If they're a bit short or whatever. Um, but she's incredible. And she is still like, look, we're getting good news in these scans every three months. Like, you know, it's not changing quickly. Like there's little bits of growth here and there, but not, very little. Um, and she's like, look, there's no reason to do anything really drastic at the moment. Not that there's really anything available, but um, that, and it should always like finish with like, have no, um, no doubt this will kill you. Like this is not, you don't walk away from this. This will get you at some point. I just don't know if it's going to be a year or 10 or whatever. Um, and she's like, you know, it's most of the, um, most of the studies we have on this are in either very young or very old people. So she's like, look, you're sort of sailing into the unknown. Um, but like, and they're, they'll open with you. And this is the way they have to be dealing with, you know, yeah, I know how military guys talk about death when they're exposed to more death. They're pretty just blunt with it. Um, you know, they're all very open to it. And doctors like this are even more so. Um, they don't care. They don't care telling you, like, you, you, you're going to die um, at some point. Um, so... Yeah, it's one of those things, but you know, and she's pretty open. She's a lot more personable than a lot of other doctors, but she'll be like, you'll just keep doing what you're doing. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy what you can. Um, don't worry about all this fad bullshit. She's like, look, yeah, there's like maybe some so slim evidence of all this weird shit, but she's like, look, just live your life. Like, and I had this with another surgeon who he offered me a surgery and he's like, yeah, but it's so risky. He's like, I could maybe give you one or two more years, but the odds of you being like in a wheelchair or having some severe neurological neurological deficit are very high. Um, so he's like, what you've got to weigh up is do you want one or two more years, but you're going to have a deficit from this point or 
would you give up a few years and be like you are now? Like, you know, after this, I'm going to go fucking train legs and fuck around at the gym. Like, and, and I think when you face, and I'm, I'm fucking 22 when I'm faced with this too. Like I'm still a fucking young dude at that point. I didn't realize how young I was until I've got older now, if that makes sense. Um, and you know, you're fucking young as, um, and facing that. And, and I think most people, if, if said to yourself, like, would you rather have your full ability, full cognitive ability, everything for five years, or you're going to have six years, but from this point, you're going to lose some deficit. And for people who live lifestyles, like maybe you or I, or, you know, whatever you, you go, the you go the first option, you, you, you sort of sail it with the, you're sailing a ship with the hole in the side of it as far as you can go. Um, and that was sort of his recommendation too. He's like, if you got in here and you just told me that you sit around watching TV and, um, you know, do whatever, or you just want to live a few more years, I'd probably, you know, more push you that way. But, you know, you're doing this, well, the, the life you live, you know, sport and gym and traveling or whatever, I'll give up a few years to keep my, my, um, like ability. And I think most people, I think most people would, but it's still a very hard, like most people, it's easy to think about that situation uh, like here and now and be like, oh, of course you'd make that. But when you're actually facing that, like, no, no, you're going to fucking die. That, that is, um, that is more difficult, but yeah, we're just a scan. I've got a scan in, I think about a month. I've got my calendar here somewhere. So another one to see. And at one point, one of these scans is going to be not good. Like, you know, so far I'm getting pretty good results of them, but one will be like, yeah, right. And then the options of what we do, like the scans are hopeful, man. Like the scans are like, a lot of neuros are actually like, they're fucking pointless. Like why um, we shouldn't bother with the scan, but um, I do it with my neuro because it's almost like a bit of a peace thing. It feels like you're still being proactive. Like mm. it feels like you're still somewhat in charge of the tumor, um, which you're fucking not, but you know, it, it's, it's part of it. Yeah. Man, that is so wild. So what happens? You make your decision and, what are you, what are you thinking about the way ahead? Are you, th are you still like, Oh, I've got a military retirement, have to fill out some paperwork. There's a medical retirement or, um, yeah. what, what's your, what's your path for the next couple of years after you, uh, yeah, you so, go through all that. So I had about 14 or 15 months off work with chemo. Um, like I tried to go to work in the beginning and it was just too hard. Um, like just physically too hard. I, you know, you're working in a company of 130 dudes. Someone at some point is going to be sick, like at all points. So I'll just pick that up instantly because my immune system was just blown to shit. Mm. So I ended up having time off plus some recovery time, whatever else. Um, and then returned to work um, for probably two and a half years. I was back in the fold. Um, now, of course, I was still heavily restricted physically. Um, so I'd still do PT and everything, but it was like I was under, like I couldn't deploy. Mm -hmm. uh, could I go do some exercises and shit? But other than that, um, I was still got back uh, and then I was a corporal, uh, like promoted um, acting sergeant for a bit. You know, I was still in the fold. I was still an infantryman. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was a goal of mine was to actually get back to um, back to that before I, like I knew I was, the day I was diagnosed, I was, you know, medical retirement was bound to happen. But I sort of wanted to, you know, finish chemo and then, yeah, sort of get back to it before I left. Mm. Um, so I spent another two and a bit years um, in the fold. Um, so I've got 2019 to early 21. Um, so I was, yeah, back in. Um, what was really good, um, back into, you know, PT with the guys, with whatever, what was great. And then, you yeah, know, medically separated um, from there. So 
And I, I'm I'm glad I did it. Like a lot of people are like, oh, you're wasting your time and this and that. But I'm like, I'm, I'm glad that I sort of didn't let it, because look, let, let's be fucking honest. Like it is going to beat me. Like, you know, it doesn't matter what fancy diet, what fancy drugs, what whatever, like this is going to get you um, at some point. It's nice to still hold some things in your own control. Um, and that's where, you know, where the commander always would say control the controllables and, you know, my controllables in this are fucking very limited. Um, and my controllables are, I guess, you know, my own health and fitness, um, which I've always been very big on, you know, the gym, whatever, even though I put on a lot of weight um, through the, a lot of the steroids I've been taking. Um, but that's when your controllables and your emotional mental state is an incredible, incredible um, uh, variable in this. And people, we haven't truly figured out yet um, how much of an impact like stress has you know, when I say we, I mean surgeons, not fucking we. Um, uh, but stress, emotional stuff, sleep, that has a huge impact on the outcome of, of everything, of your life, of everything, um, especially if you've got a fucking tumor in your head. So that's a big one that you can control. Um, and you can control, you know, mental health stuff. You, you really are in control of that. Um, as well as, you know, Australia became the first country in the world to prescribe exercise for cancer. Um, which is uh, something I'm so fucking proud of Australia for doing because everyone knows um, that exercise and treat cancer treatment, whatever is so good for you. Even if you feel like fucking shit, like, you know, you're on chemo. The last thing you, I remember, man, I lost so much muscle mass during chemo that I went into my gym and I couldn't move um, the bench in the, I couldn't lift the, the bench to move it in the gym. Um, that fucking 20 pounds of it. I couldn't even lift it. And I'm like, what the fuck? Um, but they're like prescribing hard exercise, you know, like actual workouts, not like go and do some mm. fucking stretching. No, no, no. Like we're first country to prescribe like CrossFit style workouts because mm. um, of how good it is for you. Um, now I never actually got officially prescribed it because I was, I was a gym goer anyway, but they're doing it now. And it's like, people don't, and, one of the, there's a doc, there's a um, medical form on this online, like uh, the um, study you can actually look up, but I'll never forget there's a quote in it. Like um, if the effects of exercise were able to be in pill form, we would give every cancer patient around the world this form day, uh, this pill day one. Um, like if, if you could actually bottle up exercise, like the ability for cancer, everyone would take it. No questions asked, you know, it would be the best thing. Wow. It's what would give everyone. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, um, and I've been very, very big on continuing exercise through, through my treatment. What was fucking hellish. Um, like I went from like 180 kilo squat. Well, I don't know how much that is in pounds, high three hundreds, maybe to not lifting a bench within a few weeks, which is fucking depressing. Um, but it, it's, it's part of it. Um, and your lung capacity, everything goes to shit. You can lose like 40, 50% of your lung capacity from the drugs, whatever. It's just hellish, but like, you know, it's such an important thing. Um, yeah. And I'm so glad that I'm a bit of a upholder of that. And I'd like tell everyone, I'm like, nah, these, these, you know, if you've been diagnosed with this, you still need to like get in the gym, do something hard. Like it's yeah. so fucking good for you. Yeah. Yeah. So when do you start um, Instagram page, Willie beating cancer and, and, and that sort of a thing? What, what it was, when did you decide to, yeah. to share this journey? So to be honest, that was like right in the beginning and it never was going to be like, I never had any goal of being like a, public fucking figure online I, I, I never like i had no aspiration but 
when you first diagnose something like this, you're finding out different information. Like every day you're mm. finding out doctor's appointments, different info. And it was like, I can't be fucked telling everyone in my life because I've got to call my parents. Then I've got to call extended family. I've got to tell my friends. It, it was just too much. Um, oh, excuse me. So I basically started this as, look, I'm just going to make an Instagram page and I'm not going to ring all of you individually. I'm just going to put up what I'm finding out day to day there. And you guys can, oh yeah, he's found out this. We found out that. That's going to be it. Um, and it was meant literally, you know, like a normal Instagram, you know, to your couple hundred friends and family. Um, and it sort of caught on and and took off to what it is, I guess, now um, in the tens of thousands of followers. Because um, I guess people liked my attitude of just like, you know, taking the piss out of myself a little bit and whatever. Um, and it it just went went from there, man. So yeah, it was just. Um, every day it was it was it would never had any end state it was just that was it i just wanted to let people know what was going on who were close to me and then people you know must have um must have felt like some connection to it and yeah then i started my charity stuff raised a few hundred thousand dollars for cancer research for things like that um that database i was telling you about and a few other things i think um they actually work with ibm i think on that um so little bits and pieces um like that as well um it, it it's and that was one of the controllables too, was I can't control my outcome, but because of course the research is going to take a long time to go up and down that training command. Like we talked about in the beginning, you know, from in a, um, uh, a professor somewhere mixing fucking vials of shit to mm. then a drug on the drug on the town, <laughs> on the town, um, not serving chemo to you bloody back of your car, but you know, a drug that you take that that's a, a decade or more long process. Um, but one of the controllables for me was, well, if I, can you know donate money and time whatever to this research that is a controllable of this still that you know in 10 15 20 years that some kid because mainly kids are affected by this um if some kid gets you know a diagnosis similar to me there's going to be better outcomes um or longer life so that's another controllable for me and those are so good for your for your health too to have some influence on what the actual outcome is um, and that outcome does not need to be your own outcome and it's like this in the military that you know there's there's guys who uh they've developed something or written something into you know doctrine that won't affect them but it will affect the generation next and they should be very fucking proud of that that these guys who have done yep well this is how we do you know urban um door clearance or something and you develop new doctrine whatever even if you've never done that live there's been someone there and you fucking tapped them that You've, you've developed that and it's like part of the legacy of this and even it gets re rewritten over and done again people should be more proud of like things that don't have a direct effect on them if that mm. if that makes sense like with yourself like you know um you you probably have a lot more effect than you probably realize so you know probably inspired a lot of guys to join the militaries or or start riding or whatever and that's something else you should be very like stoked on too and i and i am proud of myself on bits and pieces like that with people that have uptaken random bits and pieces that will outlive myself. And that's my sort of legacy, I guess. Introducing the PARD TD-32 Multi-Spectral Rifle Scope, combining thermal and night vision for unbeatable performance. Effortlessly switch between daytime, night vision, and thermal modes with the picture-in-picture -picture feature. Spot targets accurately with thermal and night vision precision. 
Hit your mark every time, day or night, with a built-in 1,200-yard laser rangefinder. Upgrade your shooting game with the TD-32 Multi-Spectral Rifle Scope by Pard. I'm installing this on a rifle this week, and I'm fired up to give it a run. Go to PARD.com to get your TD-32 Multi-Spectral Rifle Scope today. Man. Well, where did what do you do between these, uh, these years before you zip off to Ukraine. I remember we got, we got connected, you know, earlier on and, and, uh, then all of a sudden, you know, what is it? You know, things kind of blend, like I said, so a year ago oh, ish, yeah. um, all of a sudden you're going off to Ukraine. I'm like, what, what he was doing? What? And, uh, yeah. and you're kind of early in there, I think, and doing some amazing reporting. Um, and so what are you doing between the things that we just talked about? And when all of a sudden I see you're zipping off to Ukraine. Yeah, so I got out in Jan, late January 21, or maybe it was February 21, but it was early 21, uh, and I actually went over to Ukraine about a month before the war started. Yeah. Um, but in that year, man, like I, I did some speaking engagements, I did some whatever, but I didn't really do much. I think the, I had a bit of a, a bit of a rough transition out of defense. It, it actually, because it wasn't like voluntary, you know, I was medically mm-hmm. pushed out the door. Uh, now, this isn't to say anyone pushed me out the door, but the system pushed me, you know. Um, the, at the end of the day, the medical yeah. system is like, you know, if you're not getting better, we're not keeping you around. Even if all my rank wanted, and they even signed random waivers. Like my rank did everything they could to keep me in it. And this was from like top of army, man. Like, you yeah. know, they did ev- ev- absolutely everything they could, could do to keep me around. Uh, but it got to a point where I'm like, look, yeah, the right thing to do is get out, even if I don't want to. Um, so I had about, you know, 11 or 12 months there of, you know, um, of not that much. Did some speaking gigs, did some random stuff, but nothing really to speak of highly. Um, and that was just shit transition. And I probably wasn't the best transitioner out of military. Um, cause it's a hard thing. Like I've been in there since high school. Like, you know, I didn't know anything else. Um, and it's not like I'm going to go to university or anything because I don't have that fucking long. Um, so I basically, I don't even know really what gave me the itch, but I was like, I'm still interested in like conflict stuff. I still have that, that scratch, um, that itch that it hasn't been scratched that much. And I need to do the stuff like that again. And I've got experience and I've got, yeah, my head screwed on, whatever. Um, and in, um, late January 22, about a month before the war, I contacted some, some guys I know work in some communities and it was like, Hey, like, look, there's odds that this is going to happen. There's odds. It's going to be like a full scale Russian invasion of Ukraine. And legitimately meant like everyone at the fucking time, if you saw it, like, 90% of people, 99% of people, where's Ukraine on the map? Wouldn't fucking know before then. What color's the flag? No one would fucking know. Who's the president? No, no one fucking knew. Who went to Ukraine? Uh, maybe some Europeans, but not from Australia or the States. Like, no. Um, maybe some weird sex tourists or something <laughs> um, or some business, but not really. Um, so I was like, fuck it. I'm going to go to Ukraine. And I landed there very early February. Um and just fucking landed there, man. Like I, I flew in with a camera and we're fucking like weird. These are COVID fucking waiver certificate bullshit. Um, and I was just like, fucking what now? Like I landed in Kiev and I'm like, okay. Um, sweet. And I start filming around Kiev a little bit and whatever. Cause it's an interesting fucking place. And then work my way down to the East into Kharkiv Oblast, which, you know, um, has been, you know, very heavily in the beginning of the war at least. And it's still now actually, um, there's a lot of fighting around that area. Um, and 
you know, made all these really good friends there. Like I went to like this random like bar where they try and learn some English and they never had, they never meet like um, native English speakers. Like they go to English school mm. because I'm pretty sure if you're a Ukrainian who speaks English, you can earn like 40% more on average. Mm. So they really want to learn decent English. Um, and I made like all these friends, like instantly, like the most fucking lovely people I've ever met in my life. Um, sadly, a few of the, a few of the men have now actually been killed. Um, but I met like all these incredible people. Um, and you know, telling me stuff about like the culture and this and that and where the rift is there, but also this idea of like no, this, the war's not fucking happening. Like they're like Russia's been like this for fucking ever. Like especially since twenty fourteen, it's always been oh we're gonna and it's like fuck off. It's just like it's muscle flexing. It's like China on Taiwan. It's like it's just they're saying it's just not happening. It's just not gonna happen. Uh, and then eventually moved down into the like the infamous, I guess, Donbass region, like um, out of Kramatorsk, I was working then near on the front line. And I'm not accredited or anything at this point. Um, I'm just making YouTube videos, man. Um, you know, we, and there's still a lot of shelling and shit on the front line there, but not too much. Um, you know, a little bit of here or there, but it was so fucking weird, like that type of warfare where you're like that tree line, you can see the Russian trench and our trench is here. And you're like, what the fuck? Like, this is so fucking weird. Like coming from backgrounds like, I know you're a fair bit more up than I, but you come from that very asymmetrical warfare background where that trench to trench grenade throwing warfare, or oh, they've, they've lobbed a mortar. Let's lob one back into their track. Like, mm. That just isn't like, a, we're like, what? That doesn't really, we're, yeah, we learn that shit, but it's not like we're, it's all asymmetrical stuff. Um, and so it's just like, that was a weird thing to me. Like this is trench warfare. And these guys have been here for two years. Like what the fuck? Um, living in houses out the back or living in these like um, concrete buildings and there's civilians here just living amongst whatever. And oh yeah, at five o'clock, the, um, the, um, the watchdogs, whatever they're called. Um, uh, fuck, I should remember that, but they're like the um, war cry, well, not war cry, the um, like shelling watchdogs to see where the shelling is. They knock off at five o'clock. So the shelling's about to start and the civilians would be like, yeah, no, I need to go inside. And like the babushka would run inside because they know in five minutes because the UN people are going to go home who observe the fucking shit, who observe any um, uh, like fucking shit not happening. Mm -hmm. They go home and then the shelling starts. Like it's just fucking wild. It was like on, it was like on timer at that. Um, and then that, and then I moved back into Kramatorsk. There was some rumors of invasion and like, oh, this is just a piss take. I had a few mates across there who are now, um, you know, like some security for like um, things okay. like Al Jazeera and whatever, like guys who I knew from the army. Yeah. Um, and they were sort of pumping some more intel, like more info to me, being like, oh, it could be. Just make, you know, typical army shit, like make sure your bag's packed every night, things like this. And then, you know, one of the guys I knew, he was like, it's happening tomorrow. And I'm like, no, it's fucking not. Like, fuck off. Like, you know, people have been saying it's happening tomorrow now every day I've been here. Mm. So I'm out singing karaoke. One day they're going to be right. Literally, yeah. I'm out singing karaoke, man. I'm fucking around. Next thing I wake up at like 4 a.m. to just like this rolling thunder sound. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? Look out my window of my fucking Airbnb. <laughs> and um, like the multi-launch rocket system, like the grad launches, you can just see in the distance, just like um, it looks like a sparkler on the ground almost. You can just see like the pop, 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 of like the, the red flashes of the multi-launch rocket system hitting like Ukrainian positions. Um, and then that very, you know, we, me and another guy, um, you know, we decided to, you know, go film and then make some moves. Um, very infamous video of then the caliber cruise missile going over the top of our heads and hitting 
in front of us. Um, that video went like giga viral. Um, and we thought, you know, it was going to be the the Russian army of of stories we'd heard. And we thought that the Russian army was going to walk across that country at I remember saying, like, how far away is that front line from where we are now? Fucking, you know, 15 miles. Well, a fucking T90 rolls at, you know, 60 miles an hour or 50 miles an hour. So they could be here, you know, mm-hmm. let's say that's on average, but they're well, uh, they could go that speed, but they're gonna be moving at fucking five or ten. They're gonna be here in a fucking two hours. We need to fucking go. Because that's what we that's what everyone fucking thought, man. Everyone thought it was going to be mm. the equivalent of America invading Mexico. That's what they thought it was gonna be. So it was fucking chaos in those first that first morning was fucking chaos. And I was live streaming with Funka and all this shit. Um what was weird. Um and of course we've seen how the war's gone. Like that that same place I was still isn't um, occupied. Mm. Um, and won't be, I don't think ever personally. Um, but it's, yeah, it's one of those things. It was just fucking chaotic, man. And I'm, I'm at this on the forefront of a full scale conventional war that we thought was going to be a, a, a walkover for the Russians. Um, the Russians did some very clever things in those first days too, that I think we need to observe more of this rather than just saying Russia shit, whatever, like whatever you can, you can say that all you want, but what actually went well in that space, we need to look at that. What went really well was the informational space that Russia dominated social medias in those first hours or days. So there's all these fake videos, but these fake videos don't look that fucking fake of um, like Su-57 planes going over Kiev in fucking bunches of five or whatever. And we're seeing this, man. Now you might look at it now and go, oh yeah, you can see that that, you know, that wing glitches there. So it's yeah. fake. If you're in the fucking Donbass yeah. on your fucking phone, trying to report, speak to the boys at fun, do whatever, and you see that video, and it's come out being shared around that there's fucking Su fifty seven, it's like a a wish.com version of an F twenty two cruising over the fucking capital, mm. you're like, we need to fucking go. Like this is gonna get really bad. Videos of bombers going over and a lot of the videos were fucking fake. And I think people have forgotten about this. Like, but that worked. Like that really fucking worked on that mm. like informational space. They dominated those first days. Ukraine dominated from then on. Like they still dominate the informational space um, through not only in NAFO stuff and online, but also through bots and whatever as well. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, they dominated those first days. Um, and that, and we need to look at like, Hey, that shit that we could do too. Um yeah, so moved out of the country within 72 hours. I, I spent like, say, 48 hours in country and then moved out of the country for a few days, basically to be like, because I was still convinced, and so was everyone, that we're, the, the yeah. country is going to be walked over. Um, you know, hindsight would say, oh, you should have, st-, but, you know, we really didn't know. You know, there's, there's paratroopers landing on the Kiev fucking airfield, mate, at Hostomel. Like, you know, if you're, a thousand kilometers fucking further east of that, you're like, is this going to get cut off? Like we were looking like they're there. We could get cut off. We need to like, you know, it was the right decision. It was the right decision at the time. Yeah. Um. Even if, you know, now you'd look back at it, but moved out, actually finally got my fucking paperwork sorted for being accredited. Thank fuck. Um, because I kept getting arrested by like the secret police, like the SBU. <laughs> Because they thought I was a spy, man. Like every and people still think I'm a spy because they're like, you were there a month early filming there, 
the war then happened and you're moving around here, blah, blah, blah. What the fuck? Um, and even and those, and I get it. I would, if I was one of those coppers, those cops, I'd be fucking, yeah. um, I'd be picking you too. I'm like, hang on, what are you doing here? Right. So you're ex-military, you do this and you're carrying a camera, taking photos of tanks and this is like, hang on, what? Right. Um, and your beard, yeah. your beard is pretty legit at this point, I think. But the beard was fucking sick, man. The beard yeah. was awesome. Um, so it was all of that. Um, and an Australian, like, you know, the, in Australian in the far east of Ukraine, people are like, what the fuck are you doing here? Yeah. Um, like, go sit in a beach. Um, <laughs> and you so go back like, in? That. Is that what you do? You go Sorry. back in, you get your uh, accreditation, and then you head back in? Yeah. Yeah, so I went for about, um, it might have been five, six days. I actually went to Belgium um, to do some stuff um, with some, like, NATO um, like interviews and shit up there. Um, and then that got accredited, whatever, uh, pushed back then across into Ukraine. Uh, and this point was when Kiev was like fully under fucking siege. Um, mm -hmm. so we were more operating around the, the West of the country. How do you get few, there? Um, do you take a train in or are you driving in? How are you getting there? No, we actually didn't get in. So at that point we walked across the border. Huh. Uh, we walked in and got someone to pick us up. Uh, that trip in was a little bit, um, a little bit shit because it, you know, Kiev was under, you couldn't get in or out of Kiev. Um, that was when Russia really still had the, um, like they were still pretty much winning the war. Um, everything was going well. This is week one, man. Like it's easy to look back now, 18 months ago, like, oh, this and that. But it's like, at that point, you're like, there's Russian VDV landing on the airfield. Like this right. isn't going well. Um, and we thought the VDV were like, you know, a fucking airborne regiment. Like, you know, you still think like, don't get me wrong. This is one of the big things people get wrong about the war. There are very, very good soldiers amongst the Russian ranks. It's just very limited. There's a lot of bullshit. You know, there's a lot mm. of shit. But you speak to some of the boys I speak to who are some foreign fighters there. They're like, man, we went up against like this SF unit and we got fucking smoked. Like they really knew what they were fucking doing. Mm. Um, I'll talk on that in a sec. But yeah, that trip was a bit useless. Then I went back in for another, uh, I think I came home, got something else. Oh no, I came home for a fucking brain scan. Sorry. Yeah. I spent whatever time there that I flew home, got a fucking brain scan. Okay. Um, and then I went back for, I think seven weeks maybe a bit longer, seven or nine weeks or something, and then went back for three months um, following that. So all up, I've spent about seven or eight months there yeah. um, in all different factions of the war. You know, the initial invasion, uh, the um, counteroffensive in Kharkiv, um, her song, like, or, like some different – so I've got to see a fair bit of the war. Mm. Got to see some very savage bits too, you know, like I was – well, we weren't really meant to be there, but we had a really good fixer get us in um, really right behind like the counter offensive push around Kharkiv. So yeah, there's still a lot of bodies on the ground, civilians, soldiers, whatever, you know, um, basements full of bodies, wells full of bodies, you know, from pretty fucking hectic shit, man. Um, you know, some, some very like hot, like very confronting. Um, and this is where I have this. And a lot of people hate me for it. And a lot of people love me for it is my thing of like, no matter which side of this on, they're still young men. Like, mm -hmm. and, and I, I say to people, like the people that don't think these, you know, all oh, these Russian orcs and shit. And I'm like, well, you weren't me standing in, and I've got video of this, but I'll never release it. I don't think standing in a house, looking at a basement full of Russian bodies. And these are young men's faces looking back at you. These are me. This is a 20 year old, 18, 17 year old man looking back at you. That's still a human. Like, yeah, they might be on the wrong side of history or whatever you want to say, but it's still a human. And if, you know, if you and I were born in fucking Russia, mate, would we, we'd probably be there. 
Um, and same as if you and I were born in Afghanistan, we'd probably have joined the fucking Taliban. Like you and I'd probably be like these fucking assholes coming across the world to try and fuck you. And same as if we're in Ukraine, we'd be in the Ukrainian force. It, it and I still have you know a very humane approach to that, um, which a lot of people don't like, but I don't care. Um, like I can sleep easier at night being like that. Um, so yeah, that it, it, it was a pretty wild time in and out of Ukraine. Yeah. Were you ever contacted by uh U S intelligence service or military organization for debriefs or, Hey, if you happen to be here, uh, take a look at this, that, or the other Not, thing. I know a lot of people who were, um, a lot of people who were, if you find, um, this sort of night flying equipment, this radio, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, get in touch, whatever. There was a lot of that happening. There was a lot of that happening. Mm. Um, personally not, but yeah, it, it definitely, definitely happened over there, which everyone knows it happened. Um, and, but this goes both ways too. You know, there's, there's a lot of photos of the FSB getting equipment too. Like, you know, um, you know, getting, if they find a javelin on the front line or a Harris radio or whatever too. So uh, the, the Intel space is huge. And it's probably something people don't realize that, you know, the Intel space is massive. Um, you know, you need to be pretty careful of what you're doing in a country like that. Like even getting in taxis and Ubers and stuff, you don't know who fucking, you don't know who's driving that fucking car. Like, you know, it's pretty easy to sign up as a taxi driver. Um, you don't know who that bloke is. You don't know if he's ex fuck KGB, FSB, GUR, like, or, you know, either Russian or Ukrainian collecting intelligence. Like that's a pretty easy way to do it. Get an Uber and oh, where are you going? Oh, this and that, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, it's like you never, never never give any intel to fucking um, barbers or bartenders. You know, they know everything. Um, so the intelligence space there is huge for sure. Yeah. Did you talk to any, I guess, Ukrainians in the uh, in the lead up to the invasion or afterward that uh, were supportive of, understood what Russia was doing? And was like, yeah, this is going to happen. And we're just- Oh, fuck yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah, man. Um, yeah, there's a video on my YouTube Um not to plug myself, but no, please um, do. I want people to go to that YouTube like, channel and uh, and check yeah. out all those videos because it's uh, it's amazing reporting. Yeah, it's um well, the channel's Willie uh, Willie OAM um because I got a Queen's Order of Australia medal, but um there's a I can shove that in there, but um there's a video called like pro Russian versus pro Ukrainian protest or something, and this mm. is before the war. There was full on demonstrations in areas for, and there was you know as many pro-Russians as there were pro-Ukrainians. Um, and, you know, the further west you go, the more western the country gets. So, like, Lviv, which is far west, is very similar to, like, Poland. But the further east you go in Ukraine, the more and more Russian it gets. And even the language. So, like, in Lviv, Kiev, people speak a lot of Ukrainian, a little bit of Russian. But the further east you go, people speak only Russian, um, or primarily only Russian. Mm-hmm. Uh and it becomes more Eastern like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting like this, but especially there, oh yeah, there was fucking heaps of demonstrations for pro-Russians. I've met heaps of people at pro-Russian. My fixer at one point, like before the invasion, who actually took us out of when the fighting happened, like the um, primary invasion, he was pro-Russian as fuck. So we're a bit concerned with like, is this dude, we actually, actually bonded with him because he was my fixer. He spoke fuck all English and, he was something along the lines of, what's your experience? I was like, oh, I've been in Afghanistan. And he looks, he's like, me too. You guys are pussies. <laughs> and I'm like, fuck, like this guy's old Soviet Afghan vet um, who just thinks all the Westerners who went there are pussies. And I'm like, fucking, what a legend. Um, like, like, that's so fucking funny. Uh, but he was pro-Russian as fuck. Um, 
And I don't forget like the morning he drove us out, um, looking at like my GPS being like, if he starts going fucking East, I'm getting out of this car. Like, you know, mm-hmm. um, like who's he not to be just, you know, driving, you know, the, 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 the intelligence agencies over there are known for using a lot of just random people too. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's absolutely a big part of it. Um, but luckily he took us out, um, through to wherever. So that was lucky, but oh yeah, there's hey, there's a big, there's still a lot of community man who who are pro Russian people. Um, that's why there's a lot of um, like civilian um, problems there. A lot of people working for the Russians, targeting you know troops will walk into an area and they'll ring the Russian artillery and I'll bomb, drop a bomb at this grid or take pot shots at them. And we around, especially around Kharkiv area, um, lots of checkpoints before going on you know near the front. Mm-hmm. Even later in the war, you know nine months in would be telling us like, Hey, uh, be fucking careful out there. The civilians do not like us. Um, like they, their partisan behavior is huge. Um, so maybe don't go into the fucking, into this town, stay outside of it and film in. Um, so yeah, it's definitely not 50, 50. Um, some areas it would be, some would be fucking more. Um, and a lot of the people remaining, people don't like to say it. A lot of the people who remain in these areas are pro Russian. You know, there's all the opportunity in the world to get out. And you're like, well, hang on. You've been in this fucking town getting bombed for month, for a year. How the fuck haven't you left? And a lot of them are pro-Russian. Um, now, a lot of them are very poor and can't leave too. Don't get me wrong. Um, but there is a definite, definite bit of that. And there's been a shitload of Ukrainians go to Russia too. A shitload of them um, go that way. Um, so that's just the, that's the fact of the matter. Yeah. Did you witness or did you talk to anybody who, who witnessed or have discussions about uh, suppression of, uh, I don't know, dissidents, other political parties in Ukraine just uh, that had a different take on how to handle things uh, or um, what, what is that situation like? Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and I think most of it. So I think I'm, I'm incredibly blessed to have been there before the war because mm-hmm. as, as soon as the war has started, Everything just got foggy instantly because uh, Mar- martial law is enacted. So martial law, you don't need to have um, elections and things things like this. That You know, it, it's so foggy. But being before the war, when it's still sort of an acting democracy, you get to see how it was working. And in that, I'm trying to really think back now for better examples for you. But even then, the pro-Russians I was talking to on the street in Arkiv, um, they were like, well, they've shut down the TV station we had was you know whatever it was called mm-hmm. um it's just shut down um and the, the problem with this shit is where does free speech begin and end and when does propaganda begin and end that's the issue and mm-hmm. look no no fucking no democracy in the world has this worked out because american australian media being someone who's independent media i see so much of our media as propaganda left propaganda right like but where is propaganda and where is inciting violence and where is then freedom speech. And that's a very hard thing to sort of work out. Um, and I'm glad I'm not a policymaker around this. Um, so yeah, we don't want, like America would say America, you know, very famous for freedom of speech, but you guys wouldn't want a TV channel from the Chinese communist party pumping propaganda into America either. So you understand you're like, Hey, we don't want this. Now I don't speak Russian or Ukrainian. So Russian, I don't speak Russian. So, um, I don't know exactly what was said on that TV channel. So mm-hmm. it's like, hang on, is Russia pumping this into Ukraine 
as propaganda, similarly to if China was pumping in communist message into America, you'd also say that's not freedom of speech. That's propaganda is bullshit. So I don't know if that's a good analogy or not. And that's how it was explained to me from more the pro-Ukrainian side of this. Um, but, you know, a lot of complaints around suppression of political leaders, suppression of media and suppression of media is big. But again, where does free media start and stop? You know, myself as a journalist, I think I should have complete free reign of media that I should be able to film Ukrainians working and then walk across the fucking front line without being shot, film the Russians, and then walk into fucking wherever. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's, but then as a soldier, I completely understand. I don't want this fucking idiot here with a camera. <laughs> yeah. who can geolocate, geolocate right. my position yeah. or can walk over there and go, oh, they're at fucking this grid. Right. Like, so I get both sides of this and mm-hmm. I get why there is suppression because not all, ju- well, 99% of journalists are not like an, Amer- uh, sorry, um, like a military background. Mm-hmm. So they don't get how easily things can be geolocated, how, oh no, we're 20 Ks on the front line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They can still shove an artillery around up your ass at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't understand this. So, you know, and there's a lot of like a blanket sort of black, um, ban on media. Yeah. Um, what about suppression of political parties or just dissenting voices, not necessarily propaganda, mm-hmm. but, uh, something that's obviously, uh, another political party. Is there suppression yeah. going on there? Look, I'm really not an expert on uh, the political system there because mm-hmm. it just doesn't interest me to like learn. I get, and I, I really should be, but I'm more interested in like movements of the, of, um, like the military side, but mm-hmm. oh, absolutely there is. But well, like, like there's no elections this year when there's, there's meant to be elections. I believe I did a piece on this in the other day, but I believe by October, there's meant to be an election. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not really sure how their system works, you know, because there's like primary elections and the presidential election, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely suppressed. Like the voting's not happening. There's not going to be an election. But also under Ukrainian law, under martial law, that doesn't have to happen. But then that was put through on like the 25th of February. So like a day or two after the start of the war. So look, there is some dodgy shit happening there. But then the, I always have to like add to myself, I'm like, yeah, but then is it like, is it like, yes, but we have to have this. Like we can't have an election during the fucking war. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, every, like I could make a point on both sides, if that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. I could make a good argument right. for, of course, the argument for democracy, which, you know, we both are in capitalist democratic countries and it's not the, per, it's not a perfect system, but it's the best we're fucking got. Um, but as then, you know, there is a point at which you're like, yeah, but if we're in a war, do we really want to be fucking around with this other shit? Um, so I could make a pretty good argument on both sides, mm-hmm. but people have this illusion and this will get me in a bit of trouble, but Ukraine is not the thing of like the most democratic country in the world, maybe like Denmark say who who would, you know, top on freedom indexes and things. Um, and, and like living style, you know, the best living, you feel whatever, um, schooling, healthcare, whatever, like shit, shit. And like the democracy there is fantastic. You people online will imagine Ukraine's like that. Ukraine is not the Denmark of democracy. Like, don't fucking kid yourself. Like these bots online, you're like, no, 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 no. Just because now we're seeing it like this, don't think that Ukraine wasn't incredibly corrupt at all levels, at mm-hmm. all levels. Uh, and it wasn't, you know, it was a a struggling along democracy. They were trying to instill democracy, but there was influence from other areas and there was 
corruption happening and oligarchs in the fold and the courts were all elected were all officials that you know were put in by um other officials like you know it's it don't uh, don't tell me that ukraine's democracy was denmark it, it, it fucking was not um nor is it the um corruption level of a smaller scandinavian country that has their shit locked down yeah. like no it, it, it was very corrupt um the democracy was struggling along. It was getting better. It was definitely getting better. Both corruption and democracy was getting better, but it wasn't. It wasn't Finland. Um, it, it definitely was not that. And and this is the thing: the Ukrainian people. Like I've got fucking heaps of Ukrainian friends. So many of them are like, "Thank you so much for someone who's a fucking figure speaking out about this and actually saying like these are fucking problems." Mm. Because if you don't speak out against it, it will continue. Like the only way. Yeah, you know, um, to kill mold, to kill mold, you need sunlight. You need to draw sunlight to this, and people just fucking ignore it because it doesn't fit fit the narrative. And so many media there, man. One, a lot of the media never leave Kiev. They sit in the intercontinental, paying five hundred dollars a night, putting on their body armor to do a fucking report from the balcony. Um, and you know, it, you don't see it. You don't see in the villages because Kiev is you. Know, oh, look at how wealthy these people are. And you're like, no, that is in the fucking capital city. That's like going to New York. And look how fucking rich everyone is down Wall Street. Well, you're not in the fucking backwoods of Alabama. Like, you know, you know, it's not the average American, say. And Ukraine's like that. That Kiev, there's a lot of money in Kiev. You know, it's a pretty nice city. But you go out in these villages, man, and you're like, holy shit, like this is the average Ukrainian earns three thousand dollars a year. You know, um, you get that real perspective. And those people are like not being benefited by any of this shit. Yeah. I don't mind the corruption. If if it's an old babushka who's taken fifty dollars off the top, who lives on three grand a year pension or with less pension than that, I have no fucking problem with that. Um, That's different than the problem. Ukrainians in Europe driving G wagons and and that sort of thing. Well, hey, that's over a hundred billion true, dollars. Will you know they'll pay for a couple good couple G wagons. Well, that's the thing is I I I can't show any like direct um, corruption against that money, but. It, 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 we've done this before. I can't remember the dates now, but it was late, it was in the in the early to late teen years, so you know twenty thirteen ish, or maybe later. The UN went to give a heap of money to Ukraine and had to stop it because of the corruption. And that's why we initially were like, we'll give weapon systems, not cash. Um, it is it is very corrupt. Now I know we've got anti corruption agencies there. We're really trying to get on top of it. Zelensky looks like he's trying to get on top of it. Like you know. Um, he's been caught up in some very scandalous things as well previously um, with whoever the, um, they called the files. Um, anyway, but it's always hard because the FS, the, the Russian intelligence are good at what they do. They mm. can influence things well um, and public opinion. Um, but people need to have a look at Ukraine pre this war and see how it was being reported. Are oh, these far right parties, um, you know, these far neo-Nazi um, militias uh, and this and that. And it, I can tell you what doesn't get rid of that is a war. It mm. makes it way worse. Like if you've got corruption and like nationalist behavior, yeah. trust me, a war does not fix that. A war exacerbates it fucking tremendously. Um, and there's there's going to be two wars in Ukraine. There's going to be the war they've got now, like, you know, fighting the Russians. And then there's going to be the war in fighting after this. However, this war ends, you know, Ukraine need to join the EU and NATO want to join the EU and NATO, well, there's going to be a lot of things that need to be fucking cleaned up. And there's going to be, you know, different units out there who they're going to be like, oh, what the fuck were they doing? 
um, as well as political parties, factions, all of this. And that's going to be a huge uphill battle for Ukraine. Um, I know we're, oh yeah, joining NATO and this and that and the EU. I just can't see the EU states, even if the war ended tomorrow, right. being like, yeah, we accept this because you take, because as soon as you accept, you take on everything there too. You know, the trillion dollars worth of damage or something that's been caused. So it's a rock and a hard place, man, I think for many Ukrainians. And this is my thing is I really, really feel for like the average, the average Ukrainian is not driving the G-Wagon around mm-hmm. Warsaw. That's happening. Like you listeners from Europeans, like the nicest cars I see in Europe have Ukrainian number plates. But you notice the Ferrari with the Ukrainian number plates. You mm-hmm. don't notice the million fucking larders um, out there with, you know, that, that haven't even crossed into Europe because they can't afford it. You know, things like this. So it's not the average, but it is a problem too. Um, and it's going to be even more of a problem when we transition from military hardware to rebuilding and we're contracting. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, we need, because the road network alone, was estimated in the hundreds of billions of dollars of damage. Well, who's going to pick up the fucking contract? Like we've seen this before. Um, so there's going to be problems. And I think a lot of this weighs on your election next year, because look, well, Australia is not a NATO country We're we're NATO aligned, but we're not in the Alliance. Um, but NATO is America. Like it, it just fucking is that, you know, um, it, it, it all hinges on the States. And I think this is, something more Americans should be pissed off about too is people aren't really pulling their weight in that alliance too. It's like, oh no, America's here. Fuck them. Like, you know, they'll do it. And Australia's a bit like that too because there's more combat troops in Australia than Australian troops. Mm. Um, Sorry, American combat troops here up in fucking Darwin of the Marines. It's a nice place. Yeah. Oh, somewhat. Um, But there's a bit of this behavior of like, well, if we get invaded, the fucking Yanks are going to like, you know, if if the Americans aren't here, we're fucked. Like, now, Australia and America are very, we're, the, we're close allies. So when the Republicans are in power, Australia is America's close ally and Democrats were second. So mm. whatever. And we would, we know there's never been, since like the formation of Australian Army, we've fought in everything the Marines have fought. Um, very close, very close to Marines and the um, Royal Australian Regiments. But in Europe, in NATO, there's a bit of this, and I see it. I'm like, hang on, you're not really pulling your weight. It's sort of this, oh, no, America's NATO. They'll look after us. So fuck our, fuck our defense. Um and you see this with some countries. I oh, know we're giving away a full military budget into this because America's here. And was like, and I'm a bit like, fucking, that's a bit rough. Like, you know, yeah. if someone enters this war, America's then dragged in. Um, so I don't really see that people are pulling their weight um, compared to the states. But the states has also set them up for this. And this is where you can take make an argument for both sides. It's like, yes, America, but if America wants to be this superpower you are and enforce law across the entire world, well, suck shit. You're the ones enforcing that. You've got the biggest military and we don't do it. Your hands are tied. So it's it's both ways, I guess. Like America want this much influence. They need to maintain that much influence. What means you get fucked in some areas. Um, it's like your healthcare system um, with drugs. You guys get absolutely fucked compared to us. Mm. So because if you need to go and buy a asthma puffer, you are paying like full price for that. Where our government is like, we're not fucking paying that. So they get it cheaper, even off the company, and then to the consumer is cheaper. So, mm. let alone our healthcare or not, you guys wear more. You guys wear all the fucking money because America, say, let's just say Pfizer, they've developed this asthma puffer. So you've done all the R and D, all the whatever. They're selling it to the consumer for a hundred dollars, and then Australia steps in. You're like, oh, 
thanks for doing all that fucking medical research. We'll pay you five bucks per puff per puffer, and we benefit off America. So mm. America's a bit like you know you see that great white shark and all the like little fish hanging around it eating like bits <laughs> of scraps it doesn't fucking eat. Mm. That's like a lot of countries are like that. <laughs> um, and this is where so much of this war hinges on America next year. Where I'm going with this, if if America has anyone but Biden, I think voted in next year, this war is going to take a very large turn. Um, to the point of like. Well, you know, Trump, DeSantis, uh, and fucking um, RFK, they do not support continuing this war. Um, and I think, I think there's a growing um, p- amount of American people who are like, hey, we've got Maui fires going on. We've got skyrocketing inflation. Like, I cannot believe how bad your inflation is. Like, it is fucked. Like, Australia's pretty bad. And Australia has always been a more expensive country than America. Higher, higher salaries, more expensive mm-hmm. um, here. It, it, so, the, so I believe it was always about 17% more expensive in Australia than the States. I was in Texas three or four times this year. It is way, way more expensive than Australia. Fucking way more expensive. And your wages have not grown, but everything else has got so much more fucking expensive. So I believe now we've gone from 17% more expensive to 5% cheaper than America. Mm. which is fucking unbelievable um, for the size of your economy and country. Like, what the fuck? So I think there's this growing sense of, like, we don't want this fucking war. Um, I believe there's more and more people, maybe even into the majority, what running into these elections, man, is going to be the number one priority, is going to be the war. It's not going to be fucking trans rights or this bull. It's not going to be that. It's going to be this war. Um, now there's an argument for yes, but a hundred billion dollars of defense budget isn't that much, but there is an argument to be had there, but most people don't care about that argument. Most people go, my groceries have doubled in fucking price. Where the fuck is our money going and vote one way or the other. And if, if Trump RFK get in, they've already said this war's done. Um, and Ukraine cannot continue. If, if America says we're out, Ukraine needs to end the war. It, it's, People have said, oh, we'll keep going and Europe will support. No, like at the end of the day, yes, there's some nice European weapons in there. It's fantastic stuff. Better stuff than the States make, like the French Caesars and some of the Saab weapons and stuff from um, from Sweden. They're fucking great systems. Don't get me wrong. The fantastic system. But who's making the majority of the 155 ammo? Who's making all the 556? Like, you know, at the end of the day, if the States isn't backing it, mm-hmm very quickly those F-16s won't be in the fucking air. Um, you know, like it, it's it reliant on American backing. And I think, I don't know how um, Biden's party, the Democrats are actually going to like tackle this um, because it's not popular. Like the last thing you want to run into an election with is a fucking ongoing war. Um, like how are you going to sell that to the people? But if he doesn't sell it to the people, well, at the speed of this counteroffensive, Ukraine's not getting all their all their territories back. So I think that election's actually a larger thing than a lot of people believe also. Yeah. This is Jack Carr, and I want to talk to you about Schnee's boots. If you followed me for a while, you know what a big fan I am. This pair right here is the same pair that I have been wearing for over a decade now. And these are the ones that I wear when I want to come out heavier than I went in on a backcountry hunt. So I uh, love these things. They are are 
absolutely awesome. And I have a bunch of different kinds of boots. They're pack boots. Um, and so go check them out at schnees.com, S-C-H-N-E-E-S.com. Schnee's Mountain Boots are handmade in their Italian factory located in the foothills of the Italian Alps. Each boot is made from the absolute highest quality materials available, from the fine leathers to heavy-duty hardware and Vibram outsoles. They only sell direct to you without the middleman markup. This means they can put higher quality materials and craftsmanship in every boot, so you get more boot for your money. They are also all backed by Schnee's industry-leading customer service and support. When you call them, you'll talk to someone right there in Montana that actually wears the boots. So be sure and give them a call. They have a lot of options out there. Find the right boot for you. Definitely check them out. If you head over to Schnee's.com, S-C-H-N-E-E-S.com, you can score up to 30% off your new pair of mountain boots. You heard that right. You can save 30% off any pair of regularly priced Schnee's mountain boots. Use promo code JACK23, J-A-C-K-2-3. That's Schnee's.com, S-C-H-N-E-E-S.com. JACK23 is the promo code. Enjoy those boots. Well, what you've seen in talk, people you talked to over there, whether it was uh, uh, politicians or any sort of official military or just people in general, um, what is your assessment as far as if the U.S. or um, NATO had not uh, supported Ukraine with uh, military hardware and intelligence, would the Russian army have taken Ukraine by this point? Oh, uh, no, the, the Russian army would have taken it in in two days. three. Mm-hmm. So, so that initial, the, the whole idea online, at both sides, I'm like, oh, my God, fucking your smooth brains. The assessment of the three days when it was, yeah, Ukraine will fall in three days, that was a fucking American assessment. Now, there was Russian officials say it will be within a few days. That, that happened, but it, it was actually from American officials. Now, this was because, you know, without recent support, you got to remember, we still, before this war, we pumped in a lot of stuff. Like before the war, we still had a shitload of intel, javelins, in-laws, um, training teams. All, there was still a shitload of that stuff going in, man, um, before the war too. But with none of that support, oh yeah, it would have been a couple of days run over the top. That That's how it would have gone. And the intel one, people don't realize how big that would actually be. Like there is a... um a Poseidon-style aircraft or something along those lines in, like, the Black Sea aloft every single minute of the fucking day or in um, Poland giving, like, intel on the ground, um, you know, flying in international or Polish airspace or the whole fucking time. You can look at it on the radars, um, providing intel in. And the new grant that Biden's trying to get through at the moment, the 25 or $27 billion currently, it was like the breakdown of it was there's billions for like maintaining the intel support, you know, flying satellites. So why do you think there's been so many Russian officers fucking killed? Like, you know, these these high-ranking Russian officers, you know, you don't lose that many fucking generals. And that's not purely just Russian mm. incompetence. There's a lot of Russian incompetence there, but it's a lot of, hey, yeah, we're tracking this guy. If you send a bomb to this grid reference, you're probably going to hit someone. Um there's a lot of that, man. Like, like the HIMARS. The HIMARS do not fire without like Western fucking mm. stuff, um, which is the way you fight fucking fight a war. Who's got all the satellites and the planes? Yeah, awesome. But oh yeah, without that support, man. It, yeah. Without Western support, but Western support is American support, really. Like it, it just is. Like Australia could not fight shit without America, and vice versa. Like it just is. Yeah. Did you meet many um, uh, 
uh, Americans or Europeans oh, yeah. or Australians on the ground fighting? Oh, fuck loads, man. Um, fuck loads. So I've actually lost um, two guys that I surfed with have actually died in Ukraine fighting. And I'm from a small army, man, in a small country. Um, I've met tens and tens of Americans, heaps of Australians, mm. um, oh, Germans, Poles, everyone, Russians fighting there, like fighting for Ukraine. Um, oh, huge, man. Yeah, oh, yeah, the, the foreigners. And that's one of the big things I do is interviews um, with yeah, foreign. And if you, if you actually want me to set you up with anyone, absolutely, oh. I'm happy to do it offline um, with the, these guys who are fighting um, in Ukraine. Um, who have gone over there to fight. And some of them are just brutally honest about like, oh no, I don't really care who wins. I just wanted to go and fight a war. I wanted to be, I actually just wanted to be in a conventional war and kill a tank with a fucking javelin. Like, and it's it's like, oh, okay. Um, and then others are like, you know, I saw what has happened in these massacres and this and that and whatever, and I, and I will fight. So it sort of goes on that spectrum. Um, but oh yeah, plenty of guys from all different backgrounds. I know a guy who has never actually, he got, um, I'm actually interviewing him the next couple of weeks because he's just been wounded coming home, but um, he never actually served in the army. He got denied from the Australian army um, for like some injuries and shit. And he's like, oh, well, fuck you guys. I'll go fight in a real war. And wow. he went over there. He's been just, and man, he's been fucking hitting it out like hard. Yeah. Like, he's sending me videos and I'm like, bruh, I'm like, you realize you've got more combat experience than 99% of the force. Yeah. Um, Are they fighting in the Ukrainian army or as part of foreign units or as like, contractors yeah. or how's that work? Oh, a bit of both, man. So yeah. the, the foreign legion is fucking like French foreign legion. No, no. Oh, oh, so you know, like the Ukrainian foreign legion. Okay. Um, that's a little bit like, how are you fucking going? Like there's, a, it's a lot of problems in the legion. Like even Ukrainian media has picked up how many problems are in that fucking legion. Is that, was that um, newly created for, for this? Yeah, or was it was created, a, okay, it so, created after the beginning of the war okay. um, to have foreigners in there, but has just been riddled with problems the entire time. Riddled, riddled with, with issues. Um, shocking. Uh, so a lot of the guys sort of get into that and they're like, fuck this. And then actually go join the Ukrainian military. So join like the ZSU, mm. um, actually join, yeah, the actual military, but there's a large contingent. And I was talking to this German guy and I'm like, what's like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, there's a lot of guys form their own units. So it's <laughs> just like, yeah, yeah, we, we, we got these weapons. We bought our own night vision. We bought our own sights. We bought weapons, like they're bought all their own shit. And they've like, yeah, we've just made a section of, four dudes and we just drive to the front line. Pull just up want to get after it. And I'm like, and I'm talking about this German dude. I'm like, how is that? Like, how is your legalities around that at war? Like, like, okay, what, what do they say? Saying foreigners can go and fight for a foreign army. That's one thing of an allied country. But it's another thing where these guys have just started their own like little militia and they're wow. just out there fucking shooting it up. And the French one's called task force baguette. Um, <laughs> And there's all these other ones. My mate sent me a photo the other day. Um, Australian bloke, I know they've all got mohawks and they call themselves whatever fucking thing. Like, it's like, what the fuck? Like, they're just wow. forming their own fucking, it's meant some of it's the fucking wild west out there. Now, yeah. the Ukrainians are actively trying to like absorb these into legitimate mm. units. But, oh, there's a lot of that. They've just bought, you know, they'll, they'll see fundraisers. Yeah, we, we want to buy a fucking not a 1995 land cruiser. We want to buy a land cruiser, weld in some fucking steel in the doors, paint it green in the fucking garage. Yeah. Buy some M4s, buy whatever, and then just fucking rock. It's fucking hectic, man. I've been there like, bro, that sounds fucking fun. Like, <laughs> like shit. Um, 
and there's a lot wild. of that um and a lot of them then make up like sf units in the in the actual military and stuff so yeah. The left and right of ARC is huge. And there's wow. a lot of foreigners too who are not doing anything, who are there taking Instagram photos, uh, raising millions of fucking dollars and really? have never been out of Kiev. Um, no the most infamous ones, like maybe James Vazquez, um, raised, maybe American bloke, um, said all this shit of what he did and didn't do it um, in the American military and then raised hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars by taking some photos like in front of, you know, out in the, I could just go take a photo in my yard sitting in a bush and be like, I'm in fucking Ukraine in my cams. Like that wouldn't be fucking hard. And people donated money, whatever. And there's a lot oh, of these really? people raising millions. Oh yeah. Um, raising millions for fucking doing nothing. Um, wow. So there's a big part of that too. I just did an interview with a guy who's been over there um, since actually before the war. He was, he got there in like 2015 and has been fighting, well, before this invasion, I should say, he's been there since the 2014, like annexation of areas. Um, and that he'd been there for ages. And he's like, I've seen all these fires come in who are just on Instagram who I've never fucking seen at the front line. Like, they're not there. Like, wow. you know, how did you go from the Maccas at Kiev to the front line within two hours? Like, no, you, you're sitting out somewhere in a fucking bush taking photos or, you know, you've wow. seen a, a tank park somewhere. You take it. And that's huge, man. He's like, oh, man, it's like unbelievably. And I, I know it as well. We called them when we were there. We called them the fictional characters of Ukraine. Um, okay. That they're these fictional characters who are just living their own Call of Duty life, but they're not actually they're not actually doing anything. They're just taking money, and you know, there's all these stories and receipts, and in some cases, even receipts people have found of you know you've raised this much money, but then you're going to all these brothels and you're drinking all these fucking Jack Daniels and all this shit, like. It's like what the fuck? Like that's donation money, but where there's where there's money, there's scumbags, mate. And wow. money's the, and this is people. People once they start making some money, go a bit fucking. And you would have seen this with other like with people, their colleagues, I guess, of yours who have got successful. They fucking change dramatically. Mm. Um, everyone has this where you know whatever, and they start getting some money, and they just shift that. You know, people might go there for the right reason, and then they start seeing the bank account tick up fucking commas in it, and they're like, "Fuck, okay, I ain't doing that shit. I'm gonna die." Um, going back to the fucking states, living in Miami. Um, so there's absolutely that. Um, absolutely. So that it's wild, and the only the only fucking NGO, bro. The only NGO I've fucking seen past fucking Dnipro, which is still like four hundred k's to the front line is World Central Kitchen. They're the only fucking one. I've spent months out there at the front lines. The only fucking one is is World Central Kitchen. I've not seen any of the... And there's thousands there, apparently. Fucking apparently. I've never fucking seen... And I could not have missed them. Like, yeah. I'm in Buckmoot. I'm in... Uh, well, there's a town called New York there. I'm in Seversk. I'm, I'm in these fucking areas. You can see where the Russian positions are. Yeah. And I'm like, where the fuck are these... And World Central Kitchen is, you know... 20k's back making meals living like i'm like they're doing the they're doing the ngo work interesting now, i'm not saying that there's not ngos work in the front yeah. line there are some small guys who are getting some fucking real work done yeah but a lot of these big ones are doing fucking nothing the guys who are really working hard is some of these guys like um doing demining work uh, ryan henderson i think um he wrote a book tip of the spear a green beret bloke um He's out there. He's doing like demining work, but these like legit guys, because they're not like these Yahoo narcissists, like fucking look at this tank sort of photos. Uh -huh. They're not getting the financial support of like oh, um, big backing because the way to get financial support is the more like you know public you are, mm. 
the mm. more you'll get. But the guys who are really doing shit are not fucking public, man. They're just That's digging wild. out mines or they're delivering food or they're, you know, um, doing work for babushkas. Like I remember I was in Kramatorsk, which is still at that point, say 20 Ks, 30 Ks in the front line. Yeah. And Hey, we don't, we can't find anyone to drive this babushka down the road to get her chemotherapy. Now me, myself, I jumped on that. Like I'll fucking, I'll take a day out and I'll hundred percent do that. Like, fuck yeah. Um, in an area still, you know, very, um, it's very hot because we were taking her to a seri- an area um, north east, I think, of Kramatorsk, which was, you know, actively still um, getting some shit come in, um, or at least to pick her up to bring her in to do it. And, but I'm like, I'm just a journalist out here with a car. I'll do that any day of the fucking week. But where the fuck are all the other NGOs doing this? Like, there's meant to be. These thousands of people in here getting tens of millions of dollars from donations and shit. Where the fuck are you? Like, mm. why the fuck am I driving this person? Um, I'm happy to do it. But, <laughs> like, I'm also not getting, like, yeah. you know, donations to do it. Um, huh. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of that, man. I see journalists out there. I see soldiers and World Central Kitchen and fucking very few others out there. Wow. Um, what's... Shit on the donations front. Like people talk about like corruption in the money of like people often bring up the hundred billion dollars of you know American money. Of that, I'm like, well, prob- whatever. There's probably some whatever. I'm more like, can we add up how many billions got sent from America in private donations to Ukraine? So how many Americans, mm. you know, sent I'm gonna send ten dollars, five dollars, a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars of donations to oh, this bloke is doing this or this. Now, to get those details is probably barely fucking import, uh, impossible, but it would be in the billions of dollars. Like, it would probably be way more than that. How much of that money just got pissed away by these other Westerners doing whatever work over there? Probably the fucking majority of it. Like, oh, yeah, man. Like, there are some fucking legit scams going over in Ukraine of, like, Westerners raising money for doing fucking nothing. Yeah. Wow. That's wild to hear. I hadn't really thought about that part of it. Um, yeah, that's I'd it. say that's way worse. I'd say that's way, way worse. Man, that is crazy. How about, um, did you report on uh, atrocities on both sides? Did you hear rumors? Did you see things with your own eyes on on that side of side of things, on the, the war crime atrocity side? Look, personally, no. no I, I've heard a lot of it. Like, don't, don't be wrong, I've heard fucking heaps of it um, and seen other reporters do it too. Uh, I wasn't, I was in Butcher Irpin after, sort of after the fact, after the mass graves were exhumed and all this. So I don't really have a say on that. Um, I just wasn't there. Um, and it's hard after the fact to tell if something was an atrocity war crime or just, you know, it, it was just part of war. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, but of course, I've seen all the videos online of executions of Ukrainians, executions of Russians, uh, tormenting. I've seen all that, you know. And as you know, POW um, puck um, uh, ruling is very tight. It's very tight around what you do with with prisoners you've taken or detainees you've taken, um, and you know filming them in their face and this and that and bashing. That's not part of it. But nor we. I come from an area where I've never fought in a conventional war like that either. So you know we did it back in the day too. Um, but it's not as public anymore. Uh, it wasn't as public back then. Um, I mean, like back in the world wars, you know, the treatment of prisoners was, well, that's why we developed all these rules. Um, but there's absolutely been executions on both sides. Um, horrible, horrible stuff um, of, of people. And it is horrible. And 
you know, I've had some some talks with some Russian soldiers as well who are who I'm coming up on the podcast and stuff, and I've had one who and they speak of it on the other side too. So sadly, um, war crimes are, you know, not not uncommon. And look yeah. at some of the drone videos. Look at some of the drone videos from either side. You're like, hang on, this guy's lost his fucking legs. He's trying to put on tourniquets. He's unarmed, and you're dropping grenades on him. Like, hang, hey, hey, hey what the fuck is that being celebrated for? Like, that's a, like. Hey, I'm all, I completely get, I'm, I'm a fucking infantryman. I completely know, you know, yep, we need to kill the enemy. But, uh, well, that's not really on. Like, and no one will pull it up. Um, and uh, Well, no one will pull it up unless it's happening um, to a Ukrainian from the Russians. Um, but, oh, there's some horrible stuff, man. You can log on Telegram for five minutes and see heinous, heinous war crimes, you know, Everything from fucking beheadings through to balls getting cut off and grenades dropped on guys who are now non-combatants, um, targeting civilian areas. All of this, man, it's um, oh, it's shocking. Yeah, how did you talk to anyone who lost a, a family member to a suspected abduction, like a uh, a wife, daughter, child uh, taken from Ukraine, taken east into Russia? No, I I, I haven't um, actually at all. Um, no, it it. it happens but i'm just personally no it's probably um most of my ukrainian um friends and contacts are similar like fighting age people like you know, similar age to me so they're early mid-20s so they probably you know not have younger kids or whatever um so no i haven't really i haven't really come across it on time yeah after you did you did a video recently on uh, on uh, uavs drones uh what did you see from the beginning of the war to to what's happening now as far as the use of drones off the shelf uh commercial type and uh military intelligence you know sourced yeah oh bro we, drones have like thank fuck guys like you and i who are uh, off the ground now that drones have become a fucking thing um and in that video, I talked to a bloke from over um, from over in Perth, um, SAS guy, who basically said, "Thank fuck, we were in you uh, in Afghanistan, sorry, uh, before drones, because instead of losing forty guys, we lost four hundred. Mm. Because how the fuck do you combat an FPV drone that you build in your fucking build on your desk here for four hundred dollars that can fly at a hundred hundred miles an hour with an RPG warhead on it, um, that can has fucking five k's of range for a few hundred dollars? How do you counter that?" Mm-hmm. Um, on an analog controller and stuff. So the jamming doesn't even work that well. Like it works, but it's not as good. Like mm. all of these factors, um, the drones, there's been a big shift in the beginning. It was more, um, DJI style ones for like reconnaissance surveillance mm-hmm. and military style. Like, um, the Turkish Badakhtar drone had a big effect in the beginning. Um, and then now it's really shifted into these cheap FPV drones or, DJI like Mavics types with dropping grenades, dropping warheads, but it's really shifting into that suicide FPV drone. Um, what are unbelievably fast, unbelievably deadly. And all the guys I speak to are like, that's the, the last thing we want to come across is a drone. Like that is the biggest killer out there is drones, not artillery, not mines. It's fucking drones. Cause they'll just target you in windows, in bunkers, everywhere. Um, as well as Russia has had a lot of success um, with their Iranian-style drones as well. A lot of success with those. Cheap as fuck. And this is the thing. Is it is war, you know, war and money matters. That, hang on, this is a $20,000 fucking drone. Versus, and, and to shoot it down, you're using a potentially a $5 million missile. Yeah. You know, how long, like, you know, how long does that last for? 
And I can't believe that Russia hasn't just overwhelmed the air defense. Like what I don't get of why they're not doing, and no one can really answer why this isn't happening, is like say the Patriot systems, all these other systems, they don't have like a Patriot may be able to track hundreds of targets, but it will only have, well, each system only has like a six or 12 missiles, something like it's very few missiles. Maybe it's four per kit, but it's not that many um, all up. I don't see why they can't just overwhelm that system in a night and then just bomb the fuck out of everything um, in one big attack. Um, So there's definitely a question of that, but either drone warfare, man, from your big military style ones to your little ones has been just game changing. And I don't see what the fuck the West is going to do about it because one, we don't have a good, like everything, offensive weapons get built first and the defensive weapons come second. Mm. Um, but I don't see a good defensive weapon for drones that is actually viable and cheap, like at least equivalent value. You know, if you're hitting a um, fucking uh, hypersonic missile from Russia with a five million dollar Patriot or three million dollar Patriot, it makes sense. Like, yeah, that's pretty similar. But if you're using that system now, I know the Patriots aren't used that much for drones, but they have been. If you're using that on a twenty thousand dollar drone, that doesn't fucking make sense. Like, and this is. The problem the West is going to be facing with these drones, and I have guys in the drone community, like in the um, the private industries, on these drones, they're like, man, these are so fucking deadly. Like we're putting, you know, this much of explosives on them and this and that. You're like, fuck that. Like you can, you can learn how to fly an FPV drone in an afternoon, um, on on your computer on a little controller. Like I've done it, um, and I'm fucking an idiot. Um, so they're a big issue, man. Drones are a big, big issue. Yeah. What did you think when you saw the uh, Wagner Group reporting, uh, turning around, heading towards Moscow, getting, what did they say, 125 miles, and then having some sort of a conversation and then heading for Belarus? Um, and then, oh. of course, then that was a while, that was you know, a little, little while back. And then today we have the leader of Wagner Group uh, shot out of the sky. Yeah. Um, you know, I actually, I got, I was fucking pissed because I missed like that whole um, little incursion or excursion to Moscow from Wagner because I was at the airport in Dallas about to fly to Australia as it happened. And the next fucking 17 hours, I was just sitting on a plane. Like, I wonder what's happening. Um, I, uh, I still don't know what to read of it, man. Like, and people seem split 50, 50 on whether it was um, purposeful or not. Um, Like whether it was part of, you know, um, getting Wagner out, getting a reason to get them out of Wagner, to move them into Belarus, to the trained Belarusian army. Like, without you know, any like official um, like training stuff. Like there's all of that. Um, or was it just a small group of guys who were pissed off at the, at Moscow? And it wasn't as many as people said, like I've seen a few breakdowns who were like, it was being reported as 20,000. And they're like, well, we look at the convoys and we're like, well, those vehicles only have say four person, uh, four purse per vehicle. And there's only X men of vehicles. They more believe it was in the hundreds or low thousands. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than the tens of thousands being reported. So I, I still, well, I guess today changes a lot because fucking Prigozhin was most likely fucking taken out. I guess yeah. that changes and I haven't really sat down, knuckled down and actually thought about what that means yet. Um, but absolutely. Yeah, we should say this is initial uh, reporting because it's uh, it just happened a couple hours ago uh, when, yeah. we, when we're rec- report, recording this. So uh, when this thing drops, you know, some other information may have come to light. So while we're recording this, though, that's at least what's being what's being reported. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. Um, so I don't, I really don't know. What to th- like I thought it was going to be they're moving out 
retrain Belarus and then Belarus then getting getting in the fold. Um, because that would that would raise huge, huge problems for Ukraine, man. Massive, massive problems. Um because you've opened up another whole other front line. Even if Belarus Bel- the Belarusian army sucks, it opens up a whole other front line. Uh, and Ukraine's already stretched pretty thin. Um uh, that's that's what I thought it was gonna be, but now Wagner's got massive influence in Africa. Like they've they've got huge influence in Africa now. Um so I do, I don't really know what to read of it. And I was thinking in the beginning, I'm like, well, as we said, Prigozhin has been taken out today. But um, I, what I was sus on in the beginning was how wasn't Prigozhin like killed in any way? Like, look at all these political figures who go up against Putin or journalists that write against Putin. Next thing, they're falling out a window or they've slipped in the shower or they've, you know, had some fucking acid um, where... I was like, how does he just get away with it? And everyone and all these guys get immunity. They've all got immunity and they're taken out. Um, so it seemed he got off too easy. But now the plane going down, but I know a few guys who do some research for me, like Wagner's pissed off. So it's like, well, I don't know how this works, man. Like, I don't know where this goes from now. It's, it's hard to read. Um, mm-hmm. And it's something we're going to have to know. We may never know. You know, we, we don't know how... Um, how those intelligence services in in Russia are actually operating either. Um, yeah. You know, to take out guys to not like, you know, the KGB did some fucking dodgy shit back in the day. And the FSB is just a fucking variant of that under a different, different name. Um, you know, taking out guys, pushing things to look a different way. So I don't know, man. I, I, yeah. I, I don't know really about that incursion into Moscow. Um, nor do I know about this fucking plane. It's just, crazy and that's crazy man like what happened yeah. like shit yeah. fucking wing fell off <laughs> like what like holy shit and it, and but the thing is too I'm, uh, there's this bit of like who did it was it ukrainian partisans or was it whatever and it's like you know there's got to be this idea of um of a degree of um uh the war getting worse too because if if it is ukrainian partisans took out you know, Prigozhin. Well, Prigozhin's is he's he's just a financer of Wagner. But there's plenty of like he's just one guy in the leadership structure. There's heaps of other guys who finance owners, all this. Mm. Well, Wagner's out of Ukraine and they weren't returning. As far as I, I was aware yesterday, the ISW had pretty good intel that they're not. They're going to Africa. That's it. Mm. Now, if it was partisans took him out, well, Wagner Group on under all these other structures could be like, well, we're coming back. Um, and Wagner man. They've got a lot of conscripts. They've also, I know guys who fought them who say, man, they have got some very, very good fucking soldiers with a lot of experience in there. You know, they've been fighting in Syria, Libya, all these places for a fucking long time. They've got a lot of experience, a lot of good kit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there are some guys in there who are really not, they're fucking doing in some of the, um, like more SF style. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, Wagner fucking took Buckboot, man. Yes, at a huge cost. But also huge cost to Ukraine. Like Ukraine was pumping in everything to try and stop them, and they still advanced. Yeah. Um, Wagner, not. I don't think people should underestimate a private military like that. You're talking sixty thousand guys. That's huge. Like you've got planes and tanks and like that. That's a that's a big force, man. That that's a problem. Like you know that that's not something like people pay them off, and you're like. I wouldn't, I wouldn't discount them yet um, from any of this, especially like, you know, now they're fucking pissed off. Yeah. Fuck. Like they might just go on a fucking suicide mission, man. Like, you know, I don't know. 
I, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know what to make of it now. Yeah, I've got to do a video on it today after this, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. I, I fuck, fuck knows what I'm gonna say. Maybe I'm, I'm airing out some stuff to you to then be like, right, okay, what am I gonna say in the video tonight? <laughs> yeah, no, and uh, so you got a lot of your your first hand. I mean, you're going to primary sources on the ground, and you're talking to people in Ukraine. Um, where else are you going to get? news uh maybe not just on ukraine but uh trusted sources that having having seen what you've seen on the ground in ukraine having looked at a variety of other media out there have you said oh this was way off this was way off oh i'm not trusting those sources again like where do you go to get your news in general these days and maybe specifically on ukraine if you're not getting it from a from a uh, a source who's on the ground there yeah, uh, like I've pretty much, other than quotes, I've given up mainstream media. The, what, the, what the mainstream is really good for is, okay, with quotation marks, what did, so yeah, like for example, yesterday I used Yuri uh, Inhart, who's the Air Force, a spokesman for the Ukrainian Air Force. Uh, and it was like CNN, who I'd never go to for anything, but they have like his interview fully translated in quotation. So I'll be like, right, okay. I'll pull it, because that was what was actually fucking said. But- saying that you also need to look what was said before and after it because mm. you can easily like, right someone could context. let a quote from this interview of you and i right. and make us like Absolutely. a fucking arsehole yeah. context. Um, with no context so you need to do that um but mainstream is is really efficient at that way more efficient than i am because mm. if he's in an interview speaking ukrainian or putin speaking russian in an interview mm-hmm. the turnaround time for me to get it translated whatever across i'm not going to be able to do um so i use it for that uh, Twitter has some really good open source um, guys who are like uh, geo geolocating things. So, you know, a T9 is being killed and it is at this fucking, you know, mm. this is a photograph of Google Maps and this is where that actually is. Um, fuck, who else? A telegram's a big one. The problem I've got, because I've got a lot of people ask me this, I'm like, the, the problem I've got is because I study this full time, I sort of know what's bullshit and what's not. Mm. So, I could read a CNN article and go, oh, that's really well written because that, you know, I believe in that and that seems legit. Or I could read one on them and be like, oh my God, that's fucking bullshit from another source. So it's, mm-hmm. it's so like even journalist to journalist matters too. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's not like one place I go for media. Um, oh, social media is where it's it, man, because I, I follow a heap of guys. I don't even follow them. I just look at other sources. I look at like very pro-Ukrainian sources, very pro-Russian sources mm-hmm. and try and find a medium ground in there. Like, for example, like the, um, uh, there was a center, um, uh, what was it? Like a convention center thing hit the other day, northeast of Kiev. Um, and it was being reported, of course, by the Ukrainian sources, Russia missile attack, just a civilian um, center with, you know, nothing going on there in school kids and this and that, blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, oh, fuck, that's, that's horrible. You know, all these people died at a bus stop and this and that. And then I went on to the pro, pro-Russian sources and they'd pulled out all this stuff. Of, no, they're holding a fucking drone conference there. There was a, a like a show and tell for dro- for military drones at this mm. fucking thing. Mm. Um, so then I'm in between of like, well, the Russians, of course, are at fault for firing the fucking missile and killing civilians. They did that. But who the fuck is holding a drone conference in the middle of a fucking city on a public holiday where everyone's fucking there? Mm. There's, there's double responsibility here. Like you need to take both sides need to take fucking response. Like, yeah, the missile like half missed and kill civilians at the bus stop. That's horrible. But you're also take responsibility for holding a fucking drone thing in the center of this city on a, a like a religious holiday where you know, people are going to be there. 
um, and you've had a leak in your Intel command because, oh, it wasn't meant to be public before a few hours. And you're like, mm -hmm. a few hours? It takes me 30 seconds to be able to ring someone on a fucking aircraft and like, oh, drop a bomb at this grid. So you've got an Intel leak somewhere and you've been fucking stupid about where it is. So and uh, something like that, then I will and both sources that and go, look, this is what happened. These civilians got killed. Horrible, blah, blah, blah. But look, these were the flyers for this fucking event before this that has come up that has been acknowledged that it's real um, and have gone through, you know, the the organizer's Facebook page and this and that. So, but even I get caught in some um, bullshit too. So it, it's it's hard to do. Um, yeah. And even I say to people, do not just do one source. Like where even me, if you just listen to me, you're not getting the best information because I see things through, of course, my lens, mm -hmm. like the way I see it. Um, and I'm a Westerner who we we see things in a different way. We we see things very differently to a lot of people around the world. Um, just the way I was raised, you know, my um, like I don't have a religious background, for instance, say things like that, like that, because you know, Australia. I'm born in Australia. We're a very non-religious country. We're a very free and open country. A very wealthy country. So our vision we see things is greatly. Um, influenced by our upbringing. So you need to take things from different perspectives too. And you need to have a look at why is Russia doing this and maybe have a listen to some, you don't get in the rabbit hole of propaganda, but like you can't look with our mindset onto, we can't judge with our mindset, either Ukraine or Russia. They're completely different countries to us, different backgrounds, different people. So you need to expand your horizons on this. And I think this with everyone, like if you're going to, listen to just political things say if you just listen to biden that's a problem or if you just listen to trump that's also a fucking problem you're in this echo chamber of one side and you typically once you enter an echo chamber you just keep going down that path um that's where we've got these alts that you know countries like australia america whatever we have like these you know the left and right of politics used to be like this now it's like fucking this because because of these echo chambers and people like, oh, disregard everything the Democrats say or everything the Republicans say, mm. you start going further down that path. And this is what I think of Ukraine, Russia, is if you just listen to what the most like pro-Ukrainian account says, what you know, Visegrad 24 says, you'll end up just pushing way down this. And that bomb attack was just an attack on a civilian um, epicenter convention. Mm. That was it. Or if you just listen to Russian news, it'll be, this was just a drone conference where they're flying around drones and, you know, whatever, like you've got to find a middle ground somewhere. Um, and it's very, very difficult. Like that's what I try and do, but even I'm fucking wrong a lot. Like and journalists are wrong a fucking lot, man. Mm. Uh, the, the beauty on YouTube is you're sort of, um, uh, you're corrected by numbers. So, you know, top comments rise to the top. And if I get something wrong, then read the fucking couple of top comments and people are like, Hey, Willie, this was incorrect or that was incorrect or my take is this. And that's the beauty of social media is if you want to know the, how people really feel about an article, read the comments like of an article on Facebook or, you know, YouTube video, read the fucking comments and they're pretty based all the time. Um, and that's the beauty of YouTube um, or any social. So read the comments, go through it. Um, there are some really good guys out there who do some good work, but it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. If I can't get it from the source, I'm always a bit skeptical. Like for for existence, the idea that the Patriots have been shooting the um the caliber cruise missiles down. Uh, sorry, not caliber cruise. The um hypersonic missiles. I was like, well, I haven't seen fucking footage of that. Like you know, people have said they can't. Like some really like experts on this system. Um, 
you know, what, you know, there's no evidence of this. You're just saying that it has. So I, I, in the beginning, I didn't believe it, but then now we've seen that Russia is now not using those hypersonics against Kiev. They're only using them in areas in which Patriots are not anymore. Mm. So, so the Patriots are in Kiev. So, and you know, Ukraine reported that the that Patriot was shooting down hypersonics. Next thing, we're not seeing hypersonics target Kiev anymore. Only other cities. That to me is enough sort of circumstantial evidence that oh, okay, then they're probably having an effect on these that they're not actually that they probably can't get them in anymore. But at the end of the day, it's circumstantial. Would that hold up in like a court of law, like beyond reasonable doubt? No. And journalism is not beyond reasonable doubt. That's the fucking problem. Is mm. there's a lot of people just spewing nonsense. And people just eat it up. <laughs> you just yeah. make up, you just make shit up. Um, people can do that, man. And I know I'd be significantly more successful if I did. Mm. Um, if I went on the, cause I'm pretty unbiased. So I have a lot of fucking people hate me. So every video I do, 50% of people are going to like it and 50% going to hate it both mm. times. Um, what means my audience is limited because I think there's a limitation these days of like critical thinkers. Mm. Um, I really think that's the biggest problem facing the West is critical thinking people. Um, like if I say Russians are humans too, next thing I'm a fucking piece of shit. Um, same as the all lives matter sort of argument. Um, you're a piece of shit if you, apparently, if you think this anyway, um, if I lent harder into one way, like if I just lent into the pro Russian side or the pro Ukrainian side, my audience would double, mm. but I couldn't do that to myself. <laughs> Interesting. What, man. So what's uh what's next for you then? Are you gonna go? Do you have plans to go back to Ukraine? Are you gonna continue to to interview people and get this their perspective of what their time was like on the ground? Do you have plans for a book, uh, not just of you know, about your whole journey? Um, what's uh what's next for you? Um, I don't think I'll return to Ukraine. Um, there's been some sort of um, people don't like me because I've come out with some shit that mm. I I know is true. Um, so like the Ukrainian center for disinformation called me an info terrorist, information mm. terrorist, which is a pretty big fucking branding mm. considering I can back up everything. I fucking like everything was geolocated, whatever. And you should make t-shirts. Uh, you should make t-shirts. That's it. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah. Literally. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if I'll return to Ukraine. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if that's on the cards. Yeah. Um, I'll still of course be interviewing people. Um, the next step for me is actually interviewing some Wagner guys as well, because I find that world very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and that's been a long time sort of finding guys who to speak, who can speak mm -hmm. English, things like this. So mm -hmm. that's it's difficult. Um, I find the interviews very interesting because that's sort of firsthand. People get like the information that I get. Like mm -hmm. when I talk to these guys about, hey, what happened today? And I've done a video. It's sort of firsthand from the source. Right. Um, so that's, I've thought about going to Africa, but to be honest at the moment, just funding wise, whatever, I, I just need to spend a bit of time at home doing you know, these videos, whatever, make some fucking money and then do more of these trips. Um, a book in the future is, I guess I've already written the first part of like a book um, for like my journey. So sort of so far with military cancer, whatever, um, all of that. And really, really, I just need to get on top of it and find some time and knuckle down and do it. Um, mm. I don't know. You're probably a lot different to me, but the last thing I want to ever do is sit down and write. I'm like, <laughs> oh, fuck this. Um, uh, that's what I love so doing that, the most. Oh man, I, I've never got a, I'm guessing there's like a, like everything. If there's a, a hump you've got to get across until it becomes enjoyable. Mm. Um, it's like running, running fucking sucks when you begin, <laughs> but then once you're a few months in, it's really, you love it. I'm guessing writing's like that, but I just never have got past that. Like, mm. oh no. Nah, like, so well, I've done it. Like I've, I've done 
I think I'm about 50,000 words, but I'm just like, <laughs> there you go. So eventually. Yeah, that's um, fantastic. That's a, that's a great start. By the time I get to 30,000 words, I'm like, I got, I have a book. Um, I'm oh, on, that's I'm on the, yeah. for every reason, that's kind of the number when I get to, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm on the path, you know? And, uh, yeah. uh, so 50 is good. That's a, that's a solid number right there. Oh, right. Oh, cheers. That, no. So I don't really know what's next, but like I was in um, Syria and Turkey this year um, when the earthquake happened. So there's a lot of like um, reactive stuff like that. So I'll jump across and do like the earthquake happened on a plane, Turkey, jump the border into Syria, do some whatever with the rebels, like um, some random bits and pieces like that. Man, that man, that's wild. And, uh, and once again, it's Willie beating cancer on the Instagram and yep. what is what is the YouTube again? It'll be in the show notes and everything. But say it, say yep. it again. Willie O I M. There it is, and uh, yeah, it's fantastic. So people should definitely check that out. You can spend a lot of time. There's a lot of interviews on there now, um, but it's I mean it is incredible the stories that you're getting from people and really adds um, a lot of uh, a lot of color, a lot of context to the things that you may be hearing from other sources. So um, man, it's it's incredible. Of what you're doing well, out there. And thanks for the inspiration also. I mean, and oh, uh, I mean, the, the way that you've handled things since we were first introduced years ago, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's inspiring to me. And I know a, a, a ton of people who you'll never, that you, who you'll never hear from, but, uh, you've impacted their lives in a, in a positive way that, that you'll, you'll never know. So thank you. Oh, mate. No, no, thank, thank you very much. And, and just, um, I, I, thanks for everything. And I, to plug something, and I think this is probably for Americans to be very good with this war. Um, to get a more perspective, I did an interview with a guy who was an American veteran, um, and he actually ended up joining Azov Battalion, which is like the one you'll hear about, the very infamous mm. Azov. There's an interview I did with him, it's like three hours, it talks about the ups and downs, the ins and outs of that, even that unit, his combat experience, whatever there. I think for a lot of Americans who are unsure on mm. this war and how to feel about um, some rumors you hear, whatever, and about the reality of combat, like I think it's called I Lost Everyone. Because okay. he lost his whole unit twice. I saw so that, yeah. he was the only survivor twice of attacks. Every single guy died but him. I think that gives a good perspective on war and like conventional style, large scale war. Uh, and he gives a good insight from like an American lad who served, mm -hmm. young lad, about the politics, ins and outs and whatever, way better than I could probably um, say. So I think I think he's a really good lad for that. Awesome. Man, thank you for spending so much time today and uh this has been awesome and hopefully we can meet up in in person one of these days soon on one of your trips to the to the states or or, or mind australia or who knows where around the world we might run into each other um Funny, as, as you're reporting and i'm doing some research or something something like that so um man it, it's uh it's been incredible to talk to you it's been an honor for me to be able to talk to you today so um sincerely appreciate you taking the time oh, mate, thank you pleasure pleasure's all mine okay. have a great day man you too you too take care Okay. Say right. Look after yourself. You too. Black Rifle Coffee Company. You can help Black Rifle Coffee raise $1 million to benefit veterans through the boot campaign. All you need to do is grab a can of ready-to-drink coffee online or from your local grocery or convenience store. The boot campaign is one of the most renowned veteran-focused nonprofits in the country, working tirelessly to provide life-changing aid and benefits to service members and their families. Join forces with Black Rifle in the boot campaign from May through the end of the year, where every can of ready-to-drink coffee you buy will contribute to making this massive donation possible. 
Black Rifle Ready to Drink Coffee is available in several great tasting flavors on the Black Rifle Coffee website at your local convenience or grocery store. And no matter where you are, you can fuel your caffeine fix while supporting veterans. Every time you crack open a can of Ready to Drink, you'll be making a huge difference in the lives of veterans and their families. Black Rifle Coffee is committed to serving the veteran community. And with your help, we can all continue to make a difference. Let's raise a can together to keep fueling Americans for a good cause. Check out blackriflecoffee.com slash dangerclose and use code dangerclose20 at checkout for 20% off your purchase and your first coffee club order. Blackriflecoffee.com slash dangerclose. Drink up. Welcome to the gear highlight portion of the Danger Close podcast. First off, thank you to Badass Workbench. That's Badass-Workbench who built this workbench desk table. Great group of people over there, so be sure and check them out. Also, Fort Knox, they make awesome safes. Absolutely loving this one over here. And where should I start? Probably right here, officialjackcar.com. Check out, this is a beer stein slash coffee mug. So dual use technology right there. You can check that out. And True Precision, so that's true-precision.com. They did some aftermarket work on a P365 for me, which is right here, and absolutely love this pistol. So I have a couple things from True Precision. You should definitely check them out. That thing is, uh, that thing's pretty solid. So thank you guys. And let's see, watches. If you've been following me for a while, you know, I am a watch person. This Doxa sub, a 50 year journey here by Dr. Peter Millar. And uh, if you are a watch person, you probably know the Doxa from the Clive Cussler Dirk Pitt novels and from Jacques Cousteau's wrist, and also from Robert Redford's wrist in Three Days of the Condor, which is based on the book Six Days of the Condor by James Grady. So right here, I got my sub 300T on right here, but this is an awesome book for those who are interested in history of Doxa. So very cool. And Tacticalories, tacticalories.com. I have some new seasoning from them right here, and I'm going to try this out night. So tacticalories.com. Thank you guys. And look at this. So Pharaoh Concepts. And man, I had Justin Melnick on the podcast not too long ago. So check out F-E-R-R-O Concepts. And this, he saw the, uh, the rig that I was using and it's a little older, a little heavier. So he said that I needed something new. And then this showed up from Pharaoh Concepts. So I'm going to get this thing all set up and right out of the box. So with plates, Man, this thing is a lot lighter than what I was carrying downrange, and I'm super excited to get this thing set up. So check out Pharaoh Concepts and what they have going on. Justin Melnick, thank you so much for sending that. Really appreciate it. And Pharaoh Concepts, thank you guys as well. They included a couple other things to include this trauma kit here from North American Rescue. I have a bunch of North American Rescue tourniquets and a bunch of their stuff, some platform bags of theirs as well, both inside and in my vehicles. So uh, yeah, check them out, North American Rescue, Pharaoh Concepts, and I think that does it for today. Oh, Ball and Buck. Uh, my friends at Ball and Buck, that's what this t-shirt is from right here. You can check out my website also. And I have a limited edition Ball and Buck collaboration shirt on there that comes with a signed copy of my latest novel, Only the dead. So check that out at officialjackcar.com. And that is it for today. Take care.
Thank you for tuning in to the Danger Close podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. To find out more about Matt Willie Williams, be sure and follow him on Instagram at willie.beating.cancer. And check out his YouTube channel at Willie O-A-M. That's at W-I-L-L-Y-O-A-M. You can follow me on the social channels at Jack Carr USA. Officialjackcar.com is the website. Click on shop in the upper right-hand corner for the merch. And if you enjoyed this conversation, be sure and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Until the next time, take care out there. Stay safe. Be strong. Keep fighting.